When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Moments ago, as we saw, TNA founder Jeff Jarrett did it. He used his power. He stepped up to the plate later tonight here on Impact. It's the contract signing for the match that we all want to see. Sting, Kurt Angle at Destination X. That's because of one man. That's because of Jeff Jarrett. Mike, while you're in ass-kissing mode, why don't you uh, kiss Sting's ass as well? Excuse me? You heard me? Why don't you go in the back, man? Ask Sting to pull his pants down and plant one on him, too. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, man, don't act stupid. You know what this is about. You know exactly what this is about. I don't know what this is about. You, you want to educate me? You want it right here? I'll be more than happy to educate you. In fact, I'll educate you, and I'll educate everybody else here. It is episode 12, and we are here this week to discuss yet another American promotion. I don't know. Can, can you call them indie? Can, would this keep indie going? I don't think anyone thinks of this promotion as indie, even though they they never really hit it you know, big or anything. But no one, no one thinks of them as indie. Let me tell you that, that well, whatever it's called. What do we call it? Impact Wrestling now? I don't yeah. even know anymore. They changed it again, right? I heard I heard this now. It's the the long name history of uh of total nonstop impact global force action wrestling. NWA. 
You forgot the NWA. Yeah, I forgot the NWA. That's true. There's so many parts. You gotta throw a little anthem in there just so they, they get their like they paid enough money for it. They they deserve to have their name on the title. So if you so if you um are the kind of person that clicks on podcasts without reading the title, um that is Garrett Kidney. That is this week's guest. Garrett, um, how is it all the way in jolly old Ireland? It is it is kind of wet. I don't like it. It's, it's it's the worst kind of weather because it's wet in between bouts of sun. So I, I, I can't prepare for such weather. I, I want it wet. I want, actually, no, I'm a perfect weather is mild. Uh, like any reasonable Irishman, I just went straight to the weather. <laughs> um, yeah, all, all we're talking... New Yorkers never talk about weather unless it's really hot. Like, no one here talks about weather. We just talk about traffic and the state of the subway. That's, that's the first topic anyone in New York goes to. It's like, yep, the subway's running like shit again. Or the, the UN General Assembly this week, so... My commute that normally takes 90 minutes each way takes three hours, which, by the way, that's a shoot, folks. This has been a week from hell. That's um, what you get. The, that's what diplomacy is. is diplomacy <laughs> not worth it, John? <laughs> no, I was just telling people, like, I, I think the UN is a, a very important institution. They should just move it to a fucking city where the the public transit isn't breaking down a good day. Like, you've been to Tokyo. Tokyo could handle the UN. Could it, though? It could. I mean, uh, those fucking trains. They can handle a few more people. I guess they're doing the Olympics in 2020, aren't they? In 2020, which I'm not going to. I had a friend who was very, who was like, oh, you like going to Japan? Do you want to go to the Olympics for in, in 2020? I'm like, dude, I do not want to see that city overrun with the Olympics. The city has enough people as it is. I can't even imagine going to Tokyo during the Olympics. And I don't, I actually don't really give a shit about the Summer Olympics anyway. But like, I was like, yeah, if I, if, when I go to Japan, I like to see Japanese wrestling I like to, you know, go, go walk around Akihabara and stuff. I don't want to like have to deal with, you know, triple the people because the Olympics are here. It's not. I don't know. <laughs> the Olympics are usually held in August, aren't they? Yeah, that's true too. Oh, you could go for Which the G1. nicely ties in with the G one, doesn't it? That is true, but I don't don't you think they're going to move? I, I kind of feel they're going to move the G one that year just to avoid the Olympics. Didn't they? When, 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 the last time. No, Tokyo hosts the Olympics in the 60s. I feel like they're going to move the G1 toward the Olympics. I, that's my... Well, because aren't they going to use Sumo Hall? I, I, I don't know. I could have I read that. I could the, the, that's an Olympic movie. venue. That's what it was originally built for, was the last Tokyo Olympics, I, I, I believe. But I'm going to look this up because I'm curious. Because I, I think I read somewhere that they're going to end up using Sumo Hall, so that would... Um, that would that, rule out the finals venue, that would yes. Rule out, that would rule out the finals venue, yeah. So I don't. I mean, I don't mean they're going to move the entire G one, but I mean like they're going to they're going to damn sure make sure the finals doesn't. Um, and okay, so it wasn't built for the G one. I'm thinking. Of, I'm th- you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of Budokan Hall. That was the one that was built for the G one, or not for the G for the Olympics. all all Japanese venues. Budokan have been built Hall for the G1. was built for the Olympics. But it's yeah, like it does, it does say here built for TNA. Oh, but there you go. It will host a boxing competition at the 2020 Summer Olympics for Yugoku. So. There they will go. still have Sumo Hall. They will. No, I'm saying Sumo Hall. Oh, host. Sumo Hall. Okay. Sumo so, Hall, yeah. Hall will host a boxing competition. I think Budokan is going to host the like karate again. I think that's what it was host the last time. Let me look. Th- we're looking this up live on the air, folks. This um, is this is live research with John and Garrett. Live oh. research with John and Garrett. Um, I don't know what the fuck it doesn't say. Da, 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 da. Due to the declining business following up, no press motion. 
I don't. So yeah, I don't know if the the Budokan the Budokan Hall page they're not they're not on the on the ball like the Ryugoku page is. Ryugoku page you go there right away and immediately like well, just so you know, uh, it's gonna be the uh, whatever the hell it's called the boxing venue. But there you go. Maybe they can move to Budokan. <laughs> Or they can just run it in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> or they could run in the Tokyo Dome. Or they could do the Seibu Dome again. That was such a big, big success. Yeah, um, bigger buildings go so well for them you, these when, days. When did you, when, so you, I, we never talked about this. When did you, when did you go to Japan? The what year was that? The January twenty fourteen for Wrestle Kingdom eight. So you did it's go eight, for Wrestle Kingdom, and that was your was that your only trip or no? That was my only trip. Yeah. And you saw, you, so you got to see Okada Naito. I did, and Tanahashi yeah. against Nakamura. That's actually probably the weakest resolute, I think. And like the past, I don't know. Like five, I, don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't remember liking that one that much, but maybe I'm just remembering. Because like, I remember the main event being like, eh. I remember Okada and Naito being very good, but then pe- a lot of other people were more down on that and more down on Naito than I was at the time. Because I think... I don't think they've like matched the spectacle of Wrestle Kingdom like ever before or after that show. Oh, you're saying yeah, you're, yeah. The extra stuff is—is is that the year where Carl Anderson like had that rocket launcher? Yeah, and, and where he, I think that was the first year Kushida came out in the DeLorean. Yeah, we're, so I, I just remember Carl Anderson with the rocket launcher. And that was he's like blowing up the screen. I think that was 2014. And like Killer Elite Squad came out in some motorbikes, and Gato had like a giant drum accompaniment with them oh it was a great and that was the year uh uh devitt did the the zombie thing for the first time was in the following year they 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 had glo- it was like global force wrestling presents the pay-per-view right yes that the, jeff jarrett invented japanese wrestling yeah. that year. so that was 2015 so that's when they scaled back a lot on the entrances because you know they had to fit into a, a four-hour window or whatever but then for some reason they never the, the following two years they never increased the the the, pa- the pageantry back up to the pre-2015 level, even though they didn't have an American pay-per-view time slot to deal with. Yeah, I, I, that's disappointed me in recent years, because, yeah, that 2014 show was just, like, everyone, every like, literally every match had a thing that felt, felt special. I wonder if it's like, well, business is so good now, and everybody loves our wrestlers so much, we don't got to fuck around with this. <laughs> with this WrestleMania stuff. We don't have like, to trick people into liking our wrestlers. People, they do it already. <laughs> people are going to see Tetsuya Naito and Okada and all this shit like that. They, we don't need to. We don't need to fancy it up. We don't need to dress anybody like a king just so people like them. Where was your? What was your? What was your seat like? Uh, we were at the back of the floor, right by the stage. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So seeing all that, like literally at the very back. So like. And we could kind of like stand in our chairs and stuff so much as that is socially acceptable in Japan. (laughs) But it's because there's no one behind us. So we could see over like the the masses of people, but just like being so close to the stage was so cool. I can imagine. Did you go to any other shows while you were there? No, we were literally standing outside Cork and Hall for the fifth show. I actually, because Noah were running a show the the day after. I think there was a a GHC title change on that show as well. Who won that belt? I don't remember. Uh, one five fourteen. Would that be when Morshan beat Kenta? I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe I'm gonna let more. Let's do some more live research because I want to see if I got that right. But yeah, I was gonna go to that show before I realized it was an afternoon show, and I was like, "Well, not going to that anymore, am I?" <laughs> let's see. Okay, one five fourteen. Uh, oh, I was right. Morshan beat Kenta. Hell yeah. 
Which would have been a cool match to see live, that, wouldn't that, it? That was a really good match. I remember that. That was like one of one of the more one of Morshima's last really, really good matches for you, unfortunately. You know, had to retire. Yeah. The next, and, and then they, the next month the guy that beats him for the title and everybody's like, What the fuck? Like, yeah. What's the point of that? Yeah, like, the, gonna be more Shima's next big run, and it's like, uh, he, here's an old New Japan guy to win the title. <laughs> and that New Japan Noah relationship went so well after that. Oh yeah, although that looks like the fucking uh, the wonderful days of yesteryear next to the Suzuki Gun era. That is true. <laughs> like, I'll take Nagato over Suzuki Gun any day of the week. Oh, speaking of, I don't actually, I don't know how to transfer that, translate that. Uh, speaking of Yuji Nagata, that, Global <laughs> Impact 2008, when Yuji Nagata faced Kurt Angle on TNA television. Yeah. Um, we, did, we, we should start uh, talking about the actual reason why we're here, which is not to discuss Garrett Kidney's trip to Japan. I just, it's my favorite, my favorite subject, which, uh, you know, a lot of people know about me, the trips to Japan, but, um, Whenever I get someone on the line who's been to Japan too, it's just that's all I want to talk about. Did you did, did you like Akia Bar and all that? You're a big dork like me. We did some maybe, of it. Yeah. No, we not, did some you're, of it. You're more like games than anime, right? Yeah, but anime scares me. Anime scares. <laughs> it's it's terrifying because I I fear that like anime is the kind of thing I'd probably dive far too deep down the rabbit. It's it's that in Star Trek. I'd probably def, dive far too deep down the rabbit hole of. So I'm just never going to dive down that rabbit you should, hole. You should try My Hero Academia. It's a very it's a very non threatening show, and you can pretend you're watching an American cartoon because it's got a lot of like Marvel influences and stuff. It's, it's the gateway drug, is it? It's, it is a gate. It's a good gateway. It's a hell of a gateway drug. But but yeah. So you're so you had, there's still a lot of video game stuff to say. So. Yeah, and arcades and stuff. Oh, awesome. the arcades are yeah, the arcades are amazing. Like I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. If you are the type of person who grew up in America, or I know, you guys had arcades at one point too, right? Kind of. There were never like a huge. Well, okay. I, fair enough. I was a child of the nineties, so I wasn't around. But that was kind of. Well, I was a child of the nineties too. We're not that. I don't think you're that much younger than me. Yeah, but like in the nineties is when arcades started to die. Uh, well, so here they last a little bit longer because when I was a kid. In the '90s, like growing up and stuff, even in the early 2000s, they were still around, and you could you used to be able to go to almost any mall and find an arcade. And you know, I kind of grew. I was a big DDR DDR kid, so like I used to go to arcades like every weekend, and pretty much every not not even pretty much every single arcade I used to frequent in New Jersey is now closed, like oh. without fail. They all closed over like a three year period. So if you're like me and you grew up in arcades, once you go japan it'll be like you're in nirvana basically like there's an arcade on every corner in akihabara and some other places it's like wow somehow arcades just never died here yeah and like you still see like games like release arcade versions before they release yeah like tekken 7 was out for like what like two fucking i played tekken 7 in april of 2016 in japanese arcades and the game just came out on they did that gundam versus thing they're about to release it in September again. I played that in Japanese arcades in April 2016. They're just releasing it now at yeah. home. Pocket so Tournament like, Deluxe is out in Switch today, and like the all the new oh, characters yeah. in that game have been in arcades for months. Yeah, like all these, all these, uh, all these games. They they all hit the arcades way 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 earlier. And there's like stuff that you really can't recreate at home at all. Like if you love music games, like I do, um, like Sound Voltex, you could never do that at home with the the wub wub knobs that you like to like twist around to 
I don't know. It's hard to describe it, but it's, it's like you could not do that at home. And, um, you know, and they have like these giant, like, do they have those when you were there? These the Gundam pods? No. So these giant, like, fucking pods, and they cost they cost double what regular games cost, but like 200 yen, 700 yen. You get in this pod, and it's like you might as well be controlling a, a, a like a mech, because like you have all these knobs in front of you, and like um, levers and pedals, and you have like a 360 view. So like the the entire the, the screen is gigantic, and also like. You know, there's like three screens, so like there's one to the left and one to the right. Like it's as close as a human being will probably ever come to controlling an actual giant robot. And this is like two dollars at a Japanese arcade. <laughs> and like, like, what the fuck are we doing? Why are we so bad at this? Where where do arcades go? Because Bandai Namco have the <laughs> that that really cool like VR experience place in Tokyo. Yeah, that? I, I, and that's that like a Mario. There's a Mario Kart VR experience that, in there. That's that had, literally the only place on earth you can play it. That had just opened when we got to Tokyo, but we never made it. I really oh, wish no. we had, but yeah. I mean, I'm gonna go. The, the the attitude I always take now is that they're they have me like stuck where I'm gonna end up going there like every other year. So probably for the rest of my life. So whatever. There. You can yeah, there. I I really want to, but it's harder than it's, it's harder than it sounds. Go live with Jojo Rabbing. I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, so anything I don't get to do, I'm like, well, I'll do it next time. It's not that big a deal. Hopefully the VR thing lasts another two years. But... I do like how like five minutes ago we tried to pivot away from Japan <laughs> toward <the end. laughs> They were just back on Japan. Yeah. But there you go. Uh this is of course this is not the Japan cast though. This is the TNA. Impact Global Force. We already made this joke wrestling. Yes. And we're going to start at the very beginning, which is 2002. Mm-hmm. And okay, so you 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 got into this. I remember the story. You Your brother, right? Is that right? Brought, yep. bought you Best of the X Division? Best of the X Division Volume 2, I'll have you know. Ah, uh, okay. So that was like, so by the time you, you got into it, it was what, what like 2006? Yeah, like uh, I would have started watching Impact regularly at, at like November two thousand six. Okay, wow, I'm, my memory is great apparently today. Usually it's terrible, um, but yeah. So that's so you so you obviously it's before your time, but you've gone back and watched all this stuff more than once. Um, more than once. As far as my history of TNA, so the the weekly pay per view era. I think I probably bought a couple shows. I definitely remember watching a few of them, but like fucking ten dollars a week for for like it never when I, the few times i would buy it when i was really bored on a wednesday night i it never was like oh i have to buy next week's now like they never they never really caught um made me stick around so i i remember buying oh, maybe it was Jarrett and raven got me Which once. was at I, the I, time more or less the biggest match in tna history yeah that was a really big deal i do remember that like that was the first tna match i remember like people actually talking about and being like whoa because so raven had just like um he just dropped out basically out of w or just gotten released i guess from wwe and tna did a pretty good job making him seem like a big deal when he debuted which mm-hmm. it didn't was not always the case for people but no. um, in fairness, usually they seemed like a big deal when they debuted and then like two weeks later it's just like yeah you are you again but, but raven lasted a few years as a big deal that I mean, you have to, like really not until the after that that screw job thing did he stop being a big deal 
Yeah, when they just randomly took the belt off him for literally no... Well, actually, no, it wasn't for no reason. Because that was... Raven was champion when they got kicked off Fox Sportsnet, which was uh, June of 2004, or five even. Raven beat Styles for the title, and then he was champion all while they didn't have television. And the second they landed on Spike, they had Jared beat Raven for the belt in Canada. Yeah. They're like, well, the, what did it be called? Like, it, it was like the the Ontario... The Canadian screw job or something? Yeah, the Border City Wrestling screw job. Yeah. Whatever they called it, yeah, it was it was in Scott Demore's little promotion, so we could get some some on air publicity on it on Spike. But yeah, so so but Raven, I just remember he he was a big deal for a little while, and that that feud the feud with Jarrett. Now he came in as the heel, right? This is when they yep. were trying to do Jarrett as the babyface. Jared, well, it, it, it would depend on their mood. <laughs> Jared, Jared, Jared flip flop. So Jared started as a heel. Then he, they kind of turned him babyface for a while after he stopped beating up midgets. Uh, there was a few with Russo, right? Yeah, there was the whole Russo thing. So Jared was like the traditional NWA guy, uh, kind of battling Russo's. Oh, I want sex in wrestling. Yeah, literal so sex. That, so, so the we have to. We're here to talk about the best and the funniest. So you definitely have to mention. The first was that we, you call it the first heel army, right? In TNA, uh, yeah. what else did we have? Unless you count the flying Elvises, okay. And that was sports we entertainment, like Elvises, sports no. entertainment extreme, which, yes, folks, stands for sex. So, um, I just remember seeing that the first for the first time and just laughing like it's so hard, just like what the dumb. fuck. It's just and, dumb. Um, and then I remember they had their own locker room. They had Tony Schiavone for two weeks. It was it was something else, boy. That was my yeah. favorite thing about the asylum years, actually, where like just like Roddy Piper would show up and suggest that it was Vince Russo's fault that Owen Hart died, and then he'd disappear. <laughs> That's an actual <laughs> angle that happened. Yeah. Um, Tony Schiavone shows up to cut promos on. Mike today, and then yeah, poor Mike today is just standing there, and Tony Schiavone berates him for like ten minutes, and it's never seen again. It's fine; it never goes anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, that Jarrett um, Raven match is. I think if you were like to to list the like the ten most important title matches in TNA history, that probably would still make the list. Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, it sounds weird now, I'm sure, but it was a big deal at the time. Like, Raven debuted that January. This that match took place. I think it was April thirtieth in two thousand three. Yeah. So they kind of built toward it for three months, more or less. Yeah, I mean it was a big deal. So people people should get them. Like if it sounds weird, but Raven was still a big. Deal. I mean Raven had a great run for a little while in Ring of Honor and TNA at the same time. Yeah, Raven. the little like two thousand three Raven Renaissance, where it's just like because yeah. Raven was always like his biggest deal. Is he's an amazing promo. So if you give him something half decent to work with, he'll turn it into something pretty good. And like during that period, his work was pretty solid. You know, if uh, you wouldn't look at a Raven match and be like, "Oh God, Raven, no." Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so like it, it was really weird though that he was in the middle of. A, I remember I was more of a Ring of Honor fan at the time, and like shame uh, on you. What? <laughs> and I'd be like, "Why? Why is CM Punk teaming up with Raven and TNA while they're having a blood feud in Ring of Honor? This is really weird." Like the Ra- the Raven Punk feud was like uh, the Punk, you know, uh, poured beer on it. E- they poured beer on each other. They like handcuffed each other and made each other bleed. On- and then you turn on TNA and be like, "Here, see your Punk's part of the gathering." Yeah, it's like what the what the fuck? <laughs> it's so weird. He is Raven's devoted follower. Clearly, yeah. it was very strange. Do you think they did that like just the mess with Ring of Honor? It's, it's very just like- <laughs> very possible. 
It's like they, they, Ring of Honor and TNA had a very strange relationship. It must be said. Yeah, they they hated each other. Then they were pals for a while. Then there was the whole stuff went down with Rob Feinstein, and then they were like, eh, "None of you can work for Ring of Honor anymore." And yeah, now then they well yeah they hated each other for a while, but then they were both on Destination America, so Ring of Honor was the lead into Impact for a while. <laughs> Wasn't that a time? Yeah. Then they were working together this year until uh, TNA didn't hire the Hardys. So then the Hardys left. Then TNA threatened to sue Ring of Honor for having the Hardys on their pay-per-view using the broken gimmick. It's it's been quite a time between TNA and Ring of Honor for the last fifteen years. Yeah, they were they've had quite a run, and it, it culminated in Ring of Honor basically becoming TNA, which is kind of hilarious for yes. anyone who's been around that long. It's the natural um, cycle. <laughs> Everybody becomes TNA in the end. Um, but yeah, so Jarrett Raven, that was a cool little feud. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's... what else is like? Is there anything else that's really that big of a highlight from the from the fucking weekly pay per view era? Because I I'm straining my brain to think of anything. There was the Triple X AMW feud. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's a cool that Triple X is a cool one to bring up because Triple X continued for so long after SEX. Yep. Like that was the reason they were called Triple X. So how many fans do you think turned on this fucking show and were like, why are they called Triple X? Like, every, like a ton of fans must have done that over the course of like three years or whatever. Yeah, they, they referenced a, a stable name that broke up like years earlier. It was kind of funny. They're clearly big fans of that Vin Diesel film where he th- throws people off cliffs and stuff. Oh, so they, they, really think... like, they really like that. What was it like, Triple X BMX or something? The Tony Hawk knockoff that had boobs. I don't know that. <laughs> but they were like, okay, well, a stupid bike game isn't selling, so let's make it like... Just uh, put boobs in it. Put boobs in it, yeah. It's a foolproof tactic. But yeah, so the week... That's a good one, MW. There was a time with that. I feel like that was um, that was another calling card. TNA had a couple calling cards at the time. If you wanted to, If you wanted to be nice to them and not say it was like crazy bullshit. Yeah, it wasn't just um, ladies dancing cages and midgets pulling guns on Jeff Jarrett. It wasn't I mean, all call, of that. The calling cards was like the X Division, first of all, which, you know, they, they killed it pretty quick. But for a little while, it was it was a kind of a big deal. And the tag team division. And I honestly almost feel like the, te- the X Division stuff was a little overblown compared to the, the tag stuff was really where it was at. But I don't know. I feel like the, the, over like the 15 years of TNA, the tag stuff probably like has, it's probably more consistent yeah it was like the x division had a really good 2002 then a pretty it was a pretty okay like 2003 2004 when it was built around say kazarian chris saban and michael shane before those well well, arguably did kazarian ever get good but before chris saban got really good um and then it, it peaked back up in 2005 whereas the tag division would have like the mw stuff and it would have like beer money and it would have the guns and it would have the wolves and the young bucks for a while and even like team 3d people would would crap on Team 3D a lot, but their TNA run was pretty darn solid on average. So, yeah. like, usually they'd have good matches, but occasionally then you'd get, like, the band, they were tag team champions, uh-huh. Red Shirt Security, they were tag team champions, <laughs> Matt Morgan and Hernandez, oh, Mexican America, don't get me started on Mexican, Mexican America. Mexican America! It's like, okay, we had we had a cool th- team called LAX, how can we crap all over their history and with a, with a terrible knockoff of our own team? Yep. Mm. And then yeah. it's like, okay, we don't have homicide at the moment. 
How about this Anarchia guy? He seems he seems like a good replacement. I really don't even remember anything about him. I can't have to be honest. And then there's um, like the, the Chavo Guerrero era, which wasn't technically ever LAX, or at least not for any long period of time. But mm-hmm. still, that was kind of meant to be another LAX. And then we have new LAX. And we have so many LAXs. And I just remember the MW though. They had that one... The last train they had, right, with that long heel rain, where they wanted... I think they were like October 05 until like... I guess next the following summer, they I won it on the Bound for Glory 2005 Go Home Show, and then lost it at Slammiversary the next year. So like they they had such a long run. I just remember that run being really cool, and like um, you know by the end of it, just you want AJ and Daniels finally beat them so bad. So that was and, like AJ and Daniels were the perfect dream team. It's like oh look at these yeah. two X Division rivals who hate each other but came together in like a mutual respect because Smojo tried to kill both of them. Yeah. And like he and they and that was just, that was a cool team and that was a really cool feud. That one stands out to me too, along with obviously the MW and uh, you know the MW and Triple X feud, which is probably more famous. But yeah, I did. did didn't they win it like in it was like their last shot ever or something, right? Uh, Stars and Daniels. Yeah. Not sure did they go a last shot ever because like the the idea of the first match was like yeah, because they wrestled the month before at Sacrifice and then Gail Kim couldn't interfere in that match because they had a yeah. couple of matches they actually had a match uh, at, at like twelve oh it was obviously taped it was it, it didn't air live but twelve oh five or twelve ten on, on New Year's Day two thousand six AMW and Styles and Daniels had a, a tag match because TNA did a countdown special for the New Year. <laughs> and not, not only was it not live it was a taped countdown special so they aired impact because impact used to air on saturdays at that stage i think it was saturdays yeah saturday nights and obviously new year's eve fell on a saturday new year's day was on a sunday so they had had impact and then they came back a few hours later to do a new year's countdown special it was actually where they announced sting was officially uh, debuting in the tna roster and then had a cool little amw styles and daniels match which is where that kind of that team, the Stars and Daniels team started coming together and that feud ticked off. But yeah, the sacrifice match in May, I went on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> the sacrifice match in May, the idea was, oh, Gail Kim can't be at ringside. So she dropped a nightstick from the, the ceiling. And then <laughs> Stars and Daniels were like, we have an equalizer for Gail Kim this, this time. Do you remember what the equalizer was, John? China. Oh, it wasn't China. It was Serelda. Who the fuck Serelda? Serelda was this large, large, muscular blonde lady who wore these very weird purple clothes, and she she didn't look like a very good wrestler. I don't th- think at the time she won like a fan competition, or maybe not a fan competition, but a competition to actually like get on Impact. And she was the equalizer. She just came out like three quarters of the way through the match and killed Gail Kim. And then they did a weird like uh, six person tag the month after with Gail Kim and Sorelda, and then Sorelda and Gail Kim had a match the month after that. Sorelda was an important figure in TNA history. How, how do you spell her name? I want to see what this person looks like now. S I R E L D A. S I R E L. Oh, there she is, TNA Sorelda. She also appeared uh, at Bound for Glory 2006 in an X Division Open Gauntlet Battle Royal. Hmm. Or the, the Kevin Nash, I, I want to get this name right. It's the Kevin Nash Gauntlet Open Battle Royal at Bound for Glory. She she was a very large woman. She was she was a bulky lady. I wouldn't get on her wrong side. Yeah. Um, that that had to be some kind of rib by Rouge. So it'd be like, let's put this giant lady with the the two tiny men. 
Russo wasn't there then, so we can't oh. even blame him for this one. Oh, you're right, because he started later that year. It was, what was it, yeah. like kind of September-ish? Yeah, like September. Okay, so whoever was playing a rub on them, I don't know who it was then. But Russo's influenced the tag championship we felt the following year, because I just looked at who the first TNA tag champions were, like when the, the belt switchover happened. And it was Team 3 Yeah, it was Team 3D, but you know what happens after that. Oh, we do know very well what happens after that. So Team 3D loses the belts to Samoa Joe. Just, yep. just Joe. Joe In a match of champions, yeah, where all the, the belts are on the line. So Samoa Joe holds the tag team titles by himself. Then Joe loses the tag team titles to Kurt Angle in a singles match. Yeah, where in a singles match where every single belt was on the line. Including the IWGP Heavyweight. Damn right. The unofficial IWGP Heavyweight title. The IGP. fake one. Yeah. And then, so Kurt Angle now holds the belts by himself. Then two weeks later, Sting wins a four-way match to become... Really good match on Impact if you ever hunt it down. It's a good yeah. match, that four-way. But, but Kurt Angle was a heel and Sting was a babyface, right? Yeah, because they were they were building. This is the, the classic okay. pro wrestling trope, John. That the okay. tag team partners, by God, they just can't get along. And then a few weeks later, greatest team in DNA history, Team Pac Man, Pac-Man, Adam Jones, and Ron Killings win the titles. So what a run that is! Two singles wrestlers, a tag team that doesn't win the belts, that wins the belts because Sting wins a four way to become partner, and then a tag team with a guy who can't actually wrestle. Yeah, <laughs> those are four. That's like the champions two through five, the TNA World Tag Team Titles. Yeah, <laughs> what are they saying about those peaks and valleys? Two two champions later, Kaz and Super Eric win the belts, and Jim Cornette makes them vacate <laughs> them because yes. he can't. Eric because Eric, Eric Young refused to admit that he and Super Eric were the same person. Yep. These what what a title history here. Yep. And like Styles and Tomko held the belts for like six months, and that's the end of their reign. Yeah, that's that's something. The Christians call the Christian coalition because definitely should be naming our heel stables after like fucking terrible fundamentalists. Sure, the Christian coalition that that actually oh that actually cracked me up at the time. That, that, that was a good. St- I liked I liked those. The Christian and Styles were really good together. Yeah, I know a lot of people hate that AJ run, but I actually oh, I always thought he was hilarious. It's not like any of that shit matters. So, like, you know, like that's okay. I had this discussion. I don't know if you listened to the episode with Joe, Ga- Joe Gagne, but at the end of the episode, I was like, next week I'm talking about TNA with Garrett. And I flat out was like, you know, I, I understand that the Russo stuff was objectively terrible, but I will take that hilarious bullshit over like boring WWE nothing every single day of the week. At least it's fucking funny. In fairness, like I, if you're not going to be good, at least make me fucking laugh. And the T and Russo era TNA always made me laugh. I will give Russo credit. He's terrible with characters. He's terrible with stories. He's terrible with most things, like like most reasonable basic pro wrestling stuff. He's a pretty good comedy writer when he's he, not being like he, like crass or terrible or he awful. He can be funny, and his from his like nothing he does is ever serious obviously like that he does too much of it basically but mm-hmm. like when he wants to be funny he can be funny and especially yeah. back in and the, the, the tna whatever else you think about it during this run it was fucking hilarious there's just yeah, there's just skits it's just skits upon skits upon skits it's a never-ending series of skits especially when the show was one hour a week i would just sit down and be like okay what fucking one hour of crazy bullshit Am I gonna get this week? That was, those were the easiest shows for me to watch in wrestling history. When it got to two hours, then it was like, okay, well now, now Russo's trying. Instead of doing a four-hour show in one hour, he's doing like an eight-hour show in two hours. So this is starting to become a little much every week. And then like, 
so to, to, to finish talking my own little history here, like I, I started, I did watch the Fox Sports Net era, um, and I watched the Spike era all the way through, like the Hogan era is when I really started checking out, and I wasn't really watching, you know, that regularly anymore. And then Aces and Aces is when I just completely stopped watching. Well, Aces and Aces was the worst thing of all time. Yeah, I don't think I ever started watching again. So um, that was basic. That's basically the end of my TNA knowledge is Aces and Aces. But um, I mean, the Hogan era was already pretty bad to me. But like the Aces and Aces is where it got like. Uh, did you watch long enough at least to see Pac-Man Jones make his triumphant return? No, I don't even. I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, he showed because uh, Dixie Carter promoted on Twitter like very aggressively. She she produced a video from her office and she was tweeting about it all week. It's like a former TNA champion is going to return on Impact this week, and it turned out to be Adam Pac-Man Jones. I'm sure that got a great reaction. And what guess what? The, my favorite thing about that is like the, the most famous thing about his first run is that he couldn't wrestle. He could not physically do anything. And when he shows up in 2014, he body stamps Kazarian. So mm-hmm. he finally he finally did something in a TNA ring other than throw a football at somebody. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was something. I mean, the, the did he get a, be- a better reaction than Tito Ortiz got at least? Oh, Tito Ortiz. I know. I, I, stopped, I, I had stopped watching by them, but like people were basically like, you have to see this. So I looked at it online. I'm like, I can't remember a, a, a big like surprise guy that built up and brought out getting less of a reaction ever. Like yeah. The crowd just sat there in complete silence. And the people were trying to react to it. Like, like Samoa Joe and all them have to react like this is a big deal. And Ken, uh, uh, Ken Anderson, he was the one who like had this look on his face. He was trying to trying to feign shock or something, completely failing. I couldn't yeah. tell if he was doing that on purpose or not. <laughs> I like, maybe, he'd be, maybe he's making this look fucking stupid because he can hear how the crowd isn't reacting at all. So he's like, I'm going to just make a goofy face. Ken and Anderson I, is, is the meta commentary on these Tito Ortiz. <laughs> <laughs> but, and the crowd's just like, just, I, have you ever heard anything like that? Like, even in TNA history, I can't remember anyone getting that little reaction. Like, because that was during the era when Bellator aired after after Impact. Yeah. And they had MMA Uncentered Live as well, Spike's MMA show that didn't last. But, like, Spike was like, oh, all right, put these guys on your show, I guess. Be crossover, synergy, network stuff. And instead of just, like, I don't know. Like, in, Tito Ortiz was in TNA in 2005. He refereed the Jeff Jarrett AJ Styles main event at Heart Justice 2005. And he refereed the Banff Glory main event in 2005 as well. So it's like, it's not like they didn't use Tito Ortiz in a kind of okay role before. He also choked out Kevin Nash in the middle of a wrestling ring, which was great okay. fun. This <laughs> is just, uh, uh, in like three seconds as well, he made Kevin Nash look like a goof, even though Kevin Nash was going to be main eventing a pay per view. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah, the big August first warning again. They spend days on Twitter and everything on YouTube teasing. It's like, oh, it's gonna be a big debut. It's gonna be a huge deal. And then Tito Ortiz walks out. He crosses his arms. He looks, I don't know, a combination of smug and confused. It's a weird combination. <laughs> like if you haven't, if you've never seen this, I cannot stress enough. Go fucking watch it. Nobody like, it cared. It 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 is. Like the next time you think you you think you've seen something get no reaction, but you have never seen something get literally no reaction until you see this. There is that one person in that building who gave a single fucking shit about Tito Ortiz coming out. It was it's frankly amazing. You think one guy 
would it like scream or yell or something? Right? The th- yeah. And the thing you is think that- one person would care? No one cared. They brought in uh, Rampage Jackson a few months a few months before as a member of the main event mafia. Yeah, <laughs> but they brought him in, and his first appearance, like he came out, he's like, "This is my yard. Oh, I'm an MMA guy. I'm gonna kick ass." And then Kurt Angle interrupts him, and he's like, "If you want this to be my yard, you have to go through me." And the crowd went like batshit crazy for this this awesome, like intense Kurt Angle Rampage Jackson encounter. The people are like, "Oh, is this gonna lead to a match?" It's uh, these two are Angle against Rampage. It's a big match. And then they're just best of pals the week after, and that never went anywhere and then of course the best thing about the even better than his terrible debut tito ortiz betrayed tna and he <laughs> he he hit rampage jackson with a hammer to build to their mma fight that they were having <laughs> and he, oh, yeah. he joined the aces and eights so you oh, had yeah. tito ortiz in the aces and eights and you had rampage jackson in the main event mafia <laughs> building to their big mma fight in bellator <laughs> <laughs> which actually didn't end up happening because one of them got hurt or something yeah so TNA did a great job building a fight that never happened for a show that was not them. Yeah, and then um, suddenly, suddenly uh, Spike were like, this is kind of terrible. These guys are never going to appear on your show again. Wow. Why did Spike decide that all of a sudden? They just watched the show, I guess. <laughs> I think so. I think they watched that Tito Ortiz. Like, the idea is, like, the idea of promoting things is to make people more interested in them, and I don't think this is doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so the, the, let's let's back up though. So the the Fox Sportsnet era, kind of kind of cool. They had that like, weird timer on the screen, which was like I love that stuff. Like yeah, if I were so if I were to take over a wrestling company, like every sports presentation has a scoreboard. Yeah, and like I bring back time limits and just throw the names of the uh, the wrestlers on screen and, and the clock. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's a really good thought because you can because because I mean then then at least you would get fans thinking about the time limits more and. Yeah. Instead of the time are only being discussed or come up when it's either going to go to a draw or like the rare like uh you know you know the uh, the rare like switcheroo when they don't actually do the draw but yeah so if you have the time they're always there then it always is on fans minds but i i so, agree yeah. that's that, I'm, that was a great idea i don't know why they, I, I guess they dropped it because they moved to spike and they're not on a sports channel anymore so they figured whatever but it, it feels they, like it feels like tna has a a long history of stumbling upon a great idea and then never doing it again. Yes. People always talk about how like the worst thing TNA did is they never learned from their mistakes. And I actually disagree. I think the biggest mistake TNA ever made was not learning from their successes. Yeah. I mean they just they they, they would stumble upon like what a, a cool idea or something fans actually responded to and they'd be like, Well that was cool, let's never do it again. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the Kurt Angle Samoa Joe the cage match in lockdown, which was the the big when Samoa Joe ended up winning the title. But they did this like big MMA build where it's like the big serious like the, this is a big fight field. These guys are in training camps. They're, they 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 want to rip each other to shreds. Samoa Joe's putting his career on the line. Angle's defending his title. They go into Boston lockdown. They do that that really interesting kind of like MMA hybrid match. Which, if you kind of think about it, it was somewhat ahead of its time because, like, that's basically what kind of wrestling has become in the like nine years since that match happened. Yeah, and like, like that that did one of the biggest pay per view buy rates in the history of TNA, and they never did anything like well, that no, again. It was like eighty thousand, right, or something. Yeah, I, I think it's that, and the first Angle Joe match did in the region of sixty thousand pay per view buys. Yeah, give so, or take. 
which which for like normally they would do like twenty or thirty. Yep, on a so, good month. On a good month. I'd love so, I'd like the like Meltzer stopped reported paper stopped reporting TNA pay per view buys. I think in like two thousand eight two thousand nine maybe a little later than that. I'd love to see like what's the lowest bought TNA monthly pay per view. You know, like, there's one. Few. You know, there's one they did like a thousand. I think there's probably one that's in the hundreds. <laughs> Like, like, like that doesn't even break four figures. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, but yeah, so sports, the Fox Sports that era, cool stuff. I don't know, it was cool. Yeah, it was an interesting show because all matches had a ten minute time limit, unless it was either a title match which had a thirty minute time limit, or occasionally like the the authority figure, the director of authority, usually Dusty Rhodes during that era, would like designate a match as important and needs a longer time limit. And if the match went the time limit. Uh, it would be determined by an expert judge such as Larry Zabisco and Larry Zabisco, and it was mostly Larry Zabisco. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally people like Dusty. Apparently Terry Funk was, they mentioned him on, like I think the first show when they introduced this, like Terry Funk is on our championship committee and might decide one of these matches. Terry Funk was never seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then they... You know they they get to, they get on Spike and we do the like the switchy the quicker the quick switch route of the Jarrett uh, title mm-hmm. reign, and that's like the the really famous long one where they were chanting "Drop the belt of him," right? Uh, yeah, because well the the one if his longest reign is from two thousand and four June two thousand four to May two thousand five, which that's kind of like the Jarrett reign of terror. Mm. That's like the full on. Like full Jeff Jarrett ref bumps, sixteen people interfering. Oh yeah, in so that's, 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 that was like Monty Brown and all, all those challenges. Yeah, there was the DDP that, defense, the Kevin yeah, Nash yeah. defense. Right. So that that's the that was like the start of the monthly pay per view era, I guess. Yep. Where yeah. the Jeff Hardy ladder match at Victory Road was the yeah. the first one. But then where this, Scott Hall the, and Kevin Nash both turned on Jeff Hardy. <laughs> and then the second the second reign. Well, yeah, this second reign was like broken up. I I totally forgot about this. Yeah, because he. Like a, he he lost he, it to Rhino. Yeah, he lost it to Rhino at Bound for Glory and won it back two weeks later. He yeah. then lost it to Christian in uh, uh, February and then won it back in June. <laughs> so uh, here's a, so I actually was watching this show on because we we got the fight we get the fight network in in New York now, although in a really shitty way because it's only in standard definition. And for God, some it's like, it's like being it's, in two thousand six. Oh wait a second, it's worse though because it's a standard definition version of an HD feed. Oh god! So, so it's just widescreen and stretched. Yeah, and if you watch like Slammiversary, which is in standard definition, you they the borders are there. So I have my borders, because uh, because it's the standard definition channel. But then I have the borders and the HD broadcast of the standard that the standard definition thing that I'm getting in standard definition. So like the actual space the TNA Slammiversary paper taken on my screen was probably less than half the total size of the screen. That's a nightmare. Yeah. But it was it was two a.m. I have anything else to watch. So I was like, whatever. But, um, but yeah. So I, that was like, oh, this is what Jarrett wins the title back without, with with like, Christian continues as undefeated without <laughs> wins and loses the title, but is still considered undefeated. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that 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 title that undefeated streak was rather dubious because he lost house show matches. So, <laughs> and it's just like he's undefeated. Anybody who's at that show doesn't matter. You you don't believe your eyes. Christian managed. <laughs> In fairness, Christian managed to lose the belt twice while they still claimed him to be undefeated. Oh yeah, because they vacated it. No, yeah, because it was the yeah the, the double finish at Sacrifice 2007, or mm. uh, what was it? Who had him in the 
I was staying at uh, Ankle Lock. Who had him in an Ankle Lock? I can't even remember how they did. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kurt had Christian in the Ankle Lock, and then Sting rolled him up or something, something like that. Shoulders were down. Anyway, yeah, double finish. And he stripped him of the belt. Yeah, that, that, that Slammiversary 2006 main event, oh, that finish, where it's like Earl Hebner knocks over the ladder, and then there's a the whole thing about, was Earl Hebner in on it? I don't know. And that's never really mentioned again. Mm. <laughs> that's the story of TNA. Samoa Joe's kidnapped by ninjas. We'll never find out what happened. Um, but yeah, so the... <laughs> The, the the so this is the Jarrett Rain that kind of gets broken up, but this this is definitely the one where they chant drop the belt on him, right? I think they were just fed up of him at this stage, yeah, yeah. yeah. People, people liked Christian, and then he beat Christian, and it's just like not you again. And then Sting beats him at Bound for Glory in in two thousand six, mm-hmm. and then we start the Russo era. Yeah, um, so Sting wins the belt and loses it to Abyss a month later by disqualification. Did. Yeah. Do you, so let's talk though really quickly. Early months of the Russo era. Yeah. You, I just remember like just nonstop craziness. It's I mean, just... that was like that was this, where they did the reverse battle royal, which mm-hmm. I think is still one of the dumbest matches I've ever seen. Where people forget <laughs> how to climb into a wrestling ring. Like, yeah. how do I get in the ring? I can't get in the ring. People, imagine being backstage and Russo explaining the concept of this match. Someone must have raised their hand and been like, "So we have to pretend." Yeah. We're not able to get in the ring. Yeah. And Bruce was like, Yeah, you got struggled to get in the ring. <laughs> this like, thing that that we've seen other people on the show do perfectly fine. You have to pretend not to be able to do. You yeah. have to climb and struggle. And like I feel sorry for the wrestlers there, because they're like they're given the impossible task of making something that is entirely devoid of drama somehow dramatic. Yeah, it is kind of amazing. Um also Russo Russo just loved like Royal Rumbles. I think mm. that's very clear from watching his entire run. Like he loved nothing more than Royal Rumbles because how many fucking gauntlet matches did we have during his run? There was an episode of Impact at the start of 2008 that was just three gauntlet matches. That was the yeah, whole show. The ranking. I remember that. It was like, one, was actually, yeah, like was a woman one. one, a tag one, and a, and a heavyweight. Oh, no, it was woman X and heavyweight. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. 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 And in, in 2009, before lockdown, in order this is very dumb because it makes no sense, but in order to do to determine who would be the captains of the lockdown teams, so people were just arbitrarily going to become captains of the lockdown teams. <laughs> That's always a great idea for war. Yeah, teams. it's like yeah, these these teams are just going to come together, I guess. But he had a steel cage gauntlet match, <laughs> <laughs> or they would they they would enter one by one and then go into the cage and the cage would be closed. So. He's just like gauntlets all day. Woo! I mean, I like Royal Rumble, so it was like, this is this is cool, I guess. But then even I would get sick of them because mostly because like, a lot of them weren't any good. It's yeah. just like God, just doing another one, okay? Um, but yeah, so this the Russo, the early. I'm trying to think what else ha- happened in early. There Russo. was the jackass stunts with the X division. Oh yeah, okay. So that's where like they they made they made somebody have to poop. I remember yeah, that. it was Saban, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was saving lethal and Loki was in there just playing no, straight. Loki, down, I guess. Loki, I think, was the one they were trying to make poop. Yeah, I'm trying to think who they were. Th- oh, saving lethal, and one other person. I can't remember. Who- oh, oh, Sanjay died. I think Sanjay. Yeah, it yeah, was the they, precursor, they were- more or less, to the Paparazzi Championship series that came later <laughs> that year. So they were the three jackass guys, and like, um, to say the crowd hated this oh. would be the understatement of it. Like, I don't know if they hate they ever hated anything as much as they hated this. 
Yeah, that was really fucking. I feel like that was like the turning point. (laughs) Yeah. Pardon the pun, because it happened at no surrender. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was like this, this, these wrestlers they like, who they who normally are in matches they like, doing the dumbest bullshit that no one on earth wants to see them do. Yeah, it's like okay. It was an X Division title match. The blow up doll too, right? Yeah, it was an X Division title match on pay per view between Chris Saban and Loki. Which, under any circumstances, you'd be like, yeah, I'm on board for that. But now they have blow-up dolls and people having to run backstage to take a dump. <laughs> Though, if you watch the, the Bound for Glory match a month later from Plymouth, Michigan, Saban and Loki did have a really good match on that show. Because so. they dropped that gimmick pretty quick, I think. It was, mo- it was because Jackass was sponsoring the show. I see. So they were doing some Jackass skits, and they picked the very worst people to do them with. Um... But yeah, so Abyss wins the title by DQ. Christian wins mm-hmm. the title. This is also around the time Samoa Joe debuts. and Or not Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle. Kurt. Kurt Angle debuts and starts the feud with Samoa Joe. And Which is that, that debut where Kurt Angle comes out, lays the NWA title as like the cross... Uh, Joe lays the NWA title as like the cross the line. Then Kurt headbutts him and they brawl. Is the best segment in Tina history. Like, yeah, it, probably. Not even close. Now, do you, were you like following... Were you a dirt cheap person yet or no? No, I was. Okay. Uh, what, what age was I in two thousand six? What age am I now? That's that's how I'll do this. Twenty five now minus eleven. I would have been fourteen. I would have. Okay. I, I would have still had my innocence in those days. Yeah, I was. I, I, I was twenty, so I was already a dirt sheet guy or person. And like, what am I trying to say here? Like, I just remember this. There was this feeling when t- when TNA brought in Kurt Angle that he was going to die. Yeah, like that sounds more, but like it was like this was not something that was talked about like. You know, oh, this is you know, this is risky, or something bad could happen. It was like, no, it's going to happen. Yeah, like if if you listen to like, especially Brian Alvarez around the time, like he was very clear that he talked to people in WWE and they told him like Kurt Angle is the worst we've ever seen. Worse, like he even said like worse than Pillman, worse than um, you know everybody. Every example you can think of, Kurt Angle was worse according to them. In hindsight, now that looks like WWE spin mm-hmm. because. Clearly, Kurt Angle did not die, and he's he actually back, back on WWE television. But at the time, in 2006, like when, when TNA brought him in, a lot of people on the internet wrestling community were like really pissed off because it was like, wow, you're helping this man kill himself, and he's going to die in your watch in a month. Like That was, mm. how, that was how the internet fell. So, did, did you watch the Kurt Angle WWE documentary, the recent one? No, I don't, I don't really the watch it. I don't really watch anything WWE does. <laughs> Fair enough. But like, they actually do some of that in that documentary especially like uh, apparently in 2014 or thir- i think it was 14 is where he more or less hit rock bottom before he actually got himself clean mm. and like they, they 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 are very stark in their uh, portrayal of how bad kurt angle was during that period and you'd somewhat believe it because like obviously he'd get like multiple duis you'd see like his eyes would just look glazed over sometimes you know you'd, you'd look into his eyes and it's almost like there's nothing there but like he still delivered kick-ass wrestling matches literally all the time. Yeah, it was it was really it was a very weird thing where he lasted so long in TNA and like, you know, obviously the DUIs were bad, but like it never after we got past that like initial year or something, like I feel like the people worrying about him dying that that kind of like never came back. Like people kind of like okay, well he's gonna be okay. So I and don't know. Kurt does say like TNA was good for his mental well-being. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that is true. That probably what a big part of it was, you know, maybe Kurt Angle was that bad when he was on the road with WWE, but yeah. like getting him off the road actually probably did. You know, that may if he was really even close for as bad as they said, um, you know, that's basically that's basically like. TNA saved his life is what like you want to say. Joey. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to be that nice, but like, I guess you could say that TNA saved his life. Then, if he was close, to, even if he was close to that bad, then TNA did save his life. You could also probably argue they enabled him a little, but yeah, but I mean, like, it worked out well in the end. They so. got him off. They got him off the road. I think that was probably the biggest thing. While still they, giving him like a creative outlet. Yeah, the TNA, the TNA schedule is nowhere close to WWE schedule, especially. So. Back then, like you would have worked yeah. two TVs a month and a uh, and a pay per view, so in you same, would have worked in the same location too. Yeah, you would have worked about three days a month. Yeah, so I mean, they ran the occasional house show. There's another thing I went to. I just remember because we talked we were talking about this off air, like TNA shows I've been to. I went to a TNA a show that was pro- co promoted by TNA and NWA CyberSlam. Ooh, like, in like 2000. Five or 2006 or something in this in this little gym in New Jersey and the main event was Jeff Jarrett defending the NWA title against Ron the Truth Killings and Killings okay I, I went to the show with a friend of mine the same friend who I've met this might actually might have been like 2004 now I think about it but anyway the same friend who was like my Ring of Honor buddy if people listen to the Ring of Honor episode so this this person Quinlan he had was not a TNA viewer at all he had no idea so he knows Ron the Truth Killings from as K Quick, obviously from WWE. Big getting rowdy guy. So they, so they, they start this main event and they they do the ring announcements and the ring announcer is like, former two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ron the Truth Killings, and he turns to me and gives me a look that in my entire life I'll never be able to recreate. A look of of shock, confusion, amusement, um, bewilderment, like everything at once. He just had no idea. His brain could not process this information that K-Quick was a two-time former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. So that's my, my TNA, my big memory from that show. <laughs> if I, the look on my friend's face when they announced Ron the Truth Killings as a two-time former champion. He just he could not process this. It was, In fairness, it was one of those reigns only lasted a week. <laughs> that's true. But... Um, but yeah, it was a cool. I remember, I remember America's Most Wanted was on that. That was actually the big draw to me. Was America's Most Wanted was on that show. I don't even remember who the fuck they faced now, but I just remember being like, "Oh, I gotta go see America's Most Wanted. They're awesome." And they never, you know, like a lot of the TNA, a lot of the guys on TNA at the time would appear like in the indies by me that I would go to, like in Ring of Honor or Jersey All Pro or something. But America's Most Wanted never came up by me. So I was like, well, I got to see them, basically. So that America's Most Wanted is why I bought my ticket. So American, they, MW are a pretty awesome team. And I don't think it's a shame because obviously Braden Walker happened. And yes. that's what people mostly remember Chris Harris for now, which is actually, it's a real shame because Chris Harris was a really good pro wrestler. I will say they didn't help anything with TNA by the, the end of his TNA run where he, he had the character of the whiny baby face. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. The Russo, that whole Russo era, that's a great transition. Mm-hmm. When, remember when they had they had the two tunnels, okay? Mm-hmm. The Bayface tunnel and the heel tunnel. And you would have guys at this time 
that they had to label they, they would thus label the scripts which the scripts kept leaking for some reason during that period i don't know why but like i just, just remember they would leak they would leak these scripts that had like you know baby face or heel and in parentheses i guess to let them know what like what was tunnel to come out of you know yep. or just and, to remind them what the hell their character was this week but like listen though like at the time the motivation machine, machine guns were baby faces okay and they would come out of the baby face tunnel and they were the most obnoxious pieces of fucking shit on the entire <laughs> roster. Like, that was their characters. Their yeah. characters were these two, like, because remember that, this was during the middle, the main event mafia versus uh, versus the, the front line. Front line, thank you, feud. And they wanted to make this point, I guess, like, Russo wanted to make this point. He's like, look, it's, uh, it's more complicated than you think. And be like, look, the, they, he wanted to be like, look, the, the, the main event mafia has a point. Some of these kids are assholes. And, like, that was the two, basically. Yeah. Like, that was the, the two disrespectful punks that, that Mick Foley could yell at to be like, well, some of these kids do suck. Here's the problem with that. To the, to the live crowd in Orlando, like, I'd say, like, 70% of the live crowd, the main event mafia were already the baby faces. They did not need... To be re- to to have their like um their whole outlook reinforced by the most machine guns acting like assholes while they're supposed to be part of the babyface young guys like the main event mafia got cheered constantly so they did not need to do this to be like you know they have a point so that did at least though <laughs> that did lead to a Motor City Machine Guns versus Mick Foley two on one handicap match <laughs> and that's Foley- that's a match that happened and actually exists Mick Foley won that right. I think it was First Blood, wasn't it? And they did some uh, kind of wacky thing that got out of actually doing a finish. I, I actually watched that relatively recently. I still don't even remember. <laughs> but but yeah, that's, so, my, that's uh, my favorite thing about TNA, by the way. It's like if you delve into the 15 years of that library, you get just weird shit, like yeah. like a Mick Foley versus Motor City Machine Guns <laughs> match. But this is—I mean—I'm not trying to talk shit on them. This is my favorite period, probably. I love that whole made of a mafia thing and everything else. Like, I'm anyone who knows me knows. I really like heel stables and they were, you know, they had like such a cool vibe to them, even though they, they ended up being kind of too cool and to the point where like it killed off any opposition basically. But I don't know. We can talk more about the main event mafia, but I want to finish my point though, which is that, so they would be labeled as babyface. Uh, Chris Harris would be labeled as babyface, even though he would come on television and do nothing but whine about not getting title shots and not getting matches and not getting like, you know, more television time. Apparently that was like a shoot. Like mm-hmm. we just started booking that gimmick because Harris whined a lot in the backstage. But like you need to turn the guy heel if you're gonna do that, Vince. You can't just have him be come continue coming to the Bayface tunnel and continue booking him against heels while making him a Bayface that cries every week. It yeah. doesn't really work. So I feel like, like Oh go ahead. That was off the back of like the big AMW split. Mm. Or at lockdown they did Oh god! They did the blindfold steel cage match, where multiple times the blindfolds just fall off. (laughs) I did so much stupid shit at lockdown. The blindfold steel cage match, the electrified steel cage match. Yeah, that was those two matches were on the same show. (laughs) I love TNA. My favorite thing about that blindfold match is like the finish, the big finish is like the dastardly James Storm takes off his blindfold and sees where Chris Harris is and then wins. But yeah. the blindfold just fell off like three times. It's like, come on, guys. Just come on, guys. This is like it, it, it almost felt like sabotage. 
it's just like these two cool young guys the people kind of like that big team that were together for four years they're doing the big split we're just gonna throw them in the shittiest match imaginable where they're walking around the ring just <laughs> pawing at air doing absolutely nothing <laughs> and then and they have like one of the best matches in TNA history the month later. So. Yeah, I mean they that that I I really like them both a lot. I can't I can't stress that enough. But then then um at wasn't he Chris Harris was in the he's in the King of the Mountain match like a month later, right? Yeah, Jeff Jarrett was supposed to be the fifth man on that match, but his wife passed away, and then Chris Harris ended up being the replacement. Yeah, so then Chris Harris was in that match, and then that ended up kind of being the peak of his singles career. Yeah, because soon after they started the whining gimmick. Yeah, because. Uh, he he speared Christian off a ladder in that match to cost Christian the match, which pivoted into a one month Christian feud, which is like you know that's a that's a good upper mid card feud for him. And then Black Rain happened. Oh yeah, okay. And then the whining gimmick. <laughs> yeah, so he, he was sabotaged by Goldust in his dark days with his rat called Misty. And the, then I think Dustin Rhodes been like he doesn't remember any of that. Yeah. That, is that the worst gimmick in TNA history? It, I think it's up there. Oh, yeah, it is. It's knockoff gold dust, except it's knockoff gold dust, except like gothic instead of gay. Yeah, and, like there was no gay overtones at all. It was just like, oh, he's evil, but he doesn't know he's Black Rain. Yeah, he's schizophrenic. Like, schizophrenic, and it's like, okay, this is really bad and really kind of offensive, actually, and really stupid. It is, yeah, to people with mental illness. <laughs> and really stupid, and I can't stress this enough. Really bad. Like it, it, it never produced any watchable. There was nothing in the entire run of Black Rain. Or like, well, that that was that was good. Like I don't remember anything anything good that he did for that entire run. Because yeah, so, just as Kazarian like was getting hot. Yeah, just as Kazarian was getting hot later that year, they're like, you know what he needs? He needs a program with Black Rain. That's <laughs> that's what will push him over the top. And then yeah, yeah, he tanked Chris Harris, and then he tanked Kazarian later that year. So really, Black Rain was pretty. Like like as as terrible characters go, he is up there. Yeah, um, but yeah, so that's Black Rain, and that's uh, so after that, Chris Harris starts the whining gimmick, mm-hmm. and pretty soon after that, he's Braden Walker, mm-hmm. and then he no, makes no, a, there. he makes one he makes like one appearance as Matt Hardy's partner or something, right? He beats Armando Estrada once, didn't I? I think he had three matches on ECW, and then no, no, no come, I'm saying when he comes back in TNA. Does oh yes, oh team? yes, that's in 2011. Sacrifice 2011. He teams yeah. with Matt Hardy against Beer Money. Yeah, that and match infuriated it. me because like he just does a bunch of Chris Harris moves, and Mike Tenay was clearly instructed on commentary to just go like, "Those are the AMW signature moves." It's like, no, they're not, Mike. Those are just moves Chris Harris does. <laughs> and then he never appears again, right? He disappears forever. I think he might have yeah. worked a house show, but yeah, he disappeared forever. I was so. I was so mad. I was hoping like when they did um, Apocalypto last year with all the teams, yeah. I was hoping James Storm would be knocked into like the lake of reincarnation and him and Chris Harris would pop out. <laughs> I would have been so happy, but it didn't happen, so I was sad. But yeah, so let's go back then to 2008 and talk about the Main Event Mafia. What did you think mm-hmm. about the Main Event Mafia? The Main Event Mafia is a perfectly fine idea. <laughs> you know, you get these cool guys, you get Steiner, Booker, Nash, uh, Angle, and Sting, who are objectively four people who are stars, and you put them together, and like you, you get you have them run rough shot, and then you have these these plucky young guys take them down. That sounds fine in theory, except they constantly ran rough shot. They ran rough shot more times than they ever should have, and then they just kind of disbanded with a whimper. Well, yeah, but even before, so so like the original run, 
You know, mm-hmm. they they put them together. I just remember this. They had this like it was like a show in Vegas or something. Yeah, it was the first like, live impact from Vegas. It was yeah. a little after Bound for Glory. And they just kind of like all show up together, and it's like, yeah, we're a group now, which was it was a weird formation. But then if you look back on it, like, well, it kind of makes sense because Nash and Sting had been doing a thing together, mm-hmm. and. And the whole thing was, through the summer, like Sting was giving out that the, the youngins like Styles and Joe weren't showing yeah. the old lads respect. And he was Sting, Sting yelled something about his biological clock. I remember. Yep. And, and then he was like, he's like, oh, he's, I don't, I can't steal Brian Alvarez's joke, but Brian Alvarez is like, what? He's trying to have a baby? Like, what is going on here? But, St- Sting um, in that moment saw a vision of Seth Rollins killing him, yeah. and he's like, my days are numbered. <laughs> But yeah, I just remember. I remember that was the, one of the wackiest storylines of all time because, like, the bat would just like appear or whatever. Yeah, and people get hit in the dark, but they would know it was Sting. Like, I remember AJ and Samoa were like 100 percent convinced it was Sting, and you know, wrestling history tells you like it's not Sting, but then it ended up being Sting. Yeah, and then <laughs> they, did, they did. They ended up doing the same thing as well, where like the guitar would suddenly start showing up again, and yeah. Styles would win a match with a guitar, and Joe would win a match with a guitar, and the announcers were instructed, or, or they had to be there because they never said it, so they had to be to never say the words Jeff Jarrett. So they're like, oh, "It's the guitar. You know who the guitar belongs to, don't you? We can't say his name, but we'll." <laughs> we'll <laughs> and then it's like it just ends up being Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, yeah no, no shit, really. Um, but the, but yeah, the, the minute mafia forms, you know, I, for a little while, it was really cool. Like I'd say yeah. the first like few months, it was like, yeah, they're running roughshod. They're beating the shit out of all these young guys or throwing people off of state, like these high stages or whatever, like just doing all this crazy shit. And we, we'd never really gotten a sting heel run other than the one in, um, you know, the WCW one that lasts like a month. And he did it in such a way where he, you know, he wasn't going to be like such an over the top heel. So it kind of, it, it, it didn't feel inconsistent with his character, really. He was still fighting for like a moral high ground. Yeah. Like for integrity and respect and like values that you would associate with the Sting character. So it, it didn't feel like I'm a bad guy now. I'm going to twirl my mustache. Yeah. So it made it, the, the entire thing made a weird kind of sense, which sounds weird to say for a Russo thing. But and, like, Russo, and that naturally led to like the demise of the group because Kurt Angle is the I'm a bad guy twirl the mustache, whereas things like, well, well no, we're fighting for, for like, we're yeah. fighting for values here. Whereas Kurt's just like, I just want to win stuff. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, that, that to me, that was a downfall. Like the group, if you're, if you're booking this correctly, it should have been used to put over the young guys. And in the end, <laughs> It was kind of like the entire thing became about, first of all, it became about McFoley. Yeah, who debuted in October 2008. Yeah, like the Foley, the, the weird ass Foley feud where Foley couldn't decide if his baby face or a heel mm-hmm. from like month to month or week to week. And then the, after that, the, the, the downfall of them, like you said, ends up being their own like internal bickering. And like Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle turns on Sting, Samoa Joe. You know, joins the group after these. That's some mojo turn. Oh, trying to kill them. Not, not like you say, kill. You, you're not joking. He hunted them with a knife. With a giant fucking knife. And I will say, I, I almost like the simplicity of their explanation. What the next uh, impact is like? Yeah, this guy was trying to kill us, and we couldn't beat him, so we just paid him off. Yeah. Like there's there's something kind of cool about that explanation. Like yeah, we have all this, we have all this money from this, this survivor check, so we just paid him. Like but that, the, 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 that kills the Samoa Joe character. Dead it does. Though. Like it makes Samoa Joe this. There's like you know that's it. That's just he's gonna. He has and to then he becomes Taz's lackey two months yeah. later. 
So that the whole thing was weird, but like seriously, that th- th- there is like something cool about that explanation. But yeah, it did kill Joe's character forever, basically. Um, but as far as like the, the the way the mafia ends, like you said, it just Kurt Angle just suddenly decides oh, I'm a good guy now. Yeah, it's it's a very weird ending. Yeah, like, basically, it, Kurt's just like you know what, AD was a pretty good guy all along. I respect these kiddos. That Matt Morgan guy, he's a good kid. Yeah, and then and and it does lead to one of the funniest storylines of all time, I think, where Scott Steiner refuses to accept the main event mafia, <laughs> so, and he continues wearing their jacket and saying, "Like it's not over till I say it's over." <laughs> what are you he, talking about? It's over. And he's, he returns in 2011. We jump forward a little. Like the the big thing there was it was supposed to be like the main event mafia were supposed to return to fight Immortal, and Steiner shows up first, and then no one else does. Yeah. So support Scott's there in denial. The main event mafia is still around. He swears. And then he doesn't end up being in the actual main event mafia. <laughs> no, he doesn't when they bring it back. Yes. Um, but yeah. So, the, but the main event mafia, a cool idea for a few months, and then kind of goes down the tubes. But I, yeah. I have enough fond memories of them that they're not, they're not like another unit. We'll probably talk about as far as like compared to that stable that you just mentioned. Mm. They're they're like the greatest stable of all time. We'll get to that. <laughs> I do I do want to defend though Mick Foley. Did you like that run? I thought Mick Foley's TNA run was really underrated. I thought he did great character work sometimes. Yeah, like I just, I just wished his character was more consistent. Because that's, yeah, that's, that's, really, that's not his fault. Yeah, he was wrecked as a wrestler, like literally wrecked. He couldn't do anything. Though he had, he had some okay. Match. I thought the King of the Mountain match that year was pretty good with him in it, and the four way at Sacrifice was pretty good. And the Abyss match is fine until they botched the finish, which that was unfortunate. But like. The Tweak and Tweak Connection was one of the best comedy duos in the history of TNA. JB and 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 Mick Foley just goofing off backstage all the time. It was great fun. Uh, the the a lot of the promo work. Do you remember the, the the Cactus Jack Mick Foley promo where he had Mick Foley interview Cactus Jack before lockdown? Mm, I don't remember this. So no. So Mick Foley sets up two chairs in the ring, and he he sits in one as like, oh, Mick Foley, I'm New York Times bestselling author. And then in the other chair is Cactus Jack, the guy who basically made Mick Foley's reputation. And the, the premise of the promo is that the Cactus Jack is like blaming Mick Foley for how their career has gone. And it's just like, you're cashing checks that my body wrote. Like that these characters are split personalities in his head, which might explain why he flip-flop babyface heel all the time. <laughs> Yeah. But and like it's captivating. Like nobody on earth could pull off a promo where he's interviewing himself for eight minutes. It's just him. Nobody else could pull that off. It's it's like it's mind blowing. Yeah, I mean they, they did lots of cool stuff with Foley and they gave lots of microphone time to Ric Flair. How a lot more than WWE ever gave him. Rick so. Flair, yeah, they just like Flair, just be Rick. Just be Rick Flair. You uh, what you sit in a wheelchair and you wheel all over the place and you, you just shout God at people and you, you just do your Rick Flair thing. That was like one of the very few reasons why I would I continue watching during the Hogan era at all. A little bit at least was just to see Flair. And Mick, uh, the, the Mick Foley and Ric Flair had that like yeah. awesome face to face confrontation where they punched themselves in the face until they bled, which is very uncomfortable, and you should never do that. But yeah. it did make for very good television. 
Like even um, like the the Foley and Abyss feud where like Mick Foley's like you're just a cheap Abyss or a cheap Mick Foley knockoff, and Abyss is like, well, screw you. Where were you when I was like wrestling Abyss at barbed wire massacres and tearing the house down with AJ Styles? I'm my own man. I'm gonna stand up for myself. I think if you look at like people will look at Mick Foley as a wrestler in like 2009 and he's not great. Like that Kurt Angle match, which if you can't have a good match with Kurt, you can't have a good match with anybody. And it's not a bad match, but it's fine. But he's clearly, he just doesn't have it anymore. But like in terms of like promo work and character work and even like skits, that, that match where he wrestled Rocky Balboa or a cardboard cutout of Rocky Balboa, <laughs> which is a real thing that happened on Impact, a real match. Mick Foley defended the TNA World Heavyweight Championship against a cardboard cutout of Rocky Balboa, and Don West calls that match as if it's a shoot, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And, like, there's a bunch of that stuff. Just It's, it's just randomly peppered through TNA history. Um, but, yeah, that's... that. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. I mentioned it. The Don West heel turn. <laughs> the Don West heel turn. Okay. So, Don, so Mike Tay sitting there, and Don West all of a sudden just says starts making, like, snarky comments. Yeah. Right, and Mike Tanay's making his indignant face, which is his favorite face. Oh, he loves making that face. And then Don West, Mike Tanay's finally like, "What is this about?" And Don was like, "I'll tell you what this is about." During the during the staff meeting, they were telling me they were talking about how they might need to get rid of me, how I haven't been performing that well, and you're supposed to be my friend, and you you just sit there silently, you don't stick up for me at all. I'm like, okay. So according to Don West, he's completely justified to turn heel here. Yeah. What a dick Mike today turned out to be. And apparently like, they, they based that heel turn off of like a real incident where they were talking about that. Why, why don't we just have a one-man booth and Mike today just didn't stand up for him. So like, yeah, you go, Don. <laughs> so, I mean, Jesus Christ, and no wonder why Don looks so upset on television. <laughs> he was method acting. Um, but yeah, I mean, like he, and then Don West as a heel was great because he was just, he just didn't give a fuck, basically. I would uh, argue... Don, like we've seen so many people try to be heel announcers. Like most recently in TNA, we've seen John Matthews, people like JBL, and they're re- they're always bad at it. I'd argue of everyone that's tried it since like Bobby Heenan or or Jesse Ventura, the people who people would hold up as like a good example of a heel announcer. I think Don West is better than pretty much everyone else that tried that. He was really good at it. Because um, during that summer, they they had the prolonged story of whether Christopher Daniels was suicide. <laughs> And you should watch the Sacrifice 2009 Daniels suicide match. Not for the match, it's, it's, it's only a pretty okay match. But like, Don West is a conspiracy theory because Suicide was X Division champion and he believed that Daniels was pretending to be suicide so he could win the X Division title. So in that match, he hired a scrub just to put the suit on so Daniels could beat him to get the title off of Suicide and onto Daniels. This was, da- this was Don West's like grand conspiracy theory. Ah. Uh, and it's like, you know what? That makes some sense. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is what he's doing. <laughs> but yeah, Don West, God bless him. Oh, he's great. And yeah, he returned this year to Call Slam Anniversary, and he was great. And people should vote for him to be announcer of the year because they can. He called the wrestling show, and you should do it. And there's not other candidates, really. So just vote Don oh, West. Like, okay? like, are you really that big a fan of Michael Cole, everybody? Yeah, so I'm, or- I'm starting like like the, the Observer for the Observer Awards. I'm campaigning for Don West. Um, but yeah, so Don West is awesome. Native Mafia, pretty cool. Um, I don't know, just the way Ender was stupid. We went over that already. So yeah. then, then the Hogan stuff starts. Oh, but how, there's that weird period before Hogan comes in where 
this is part this is part of the reason why I hate the Hogan period so much. That period before Hogan comes in was like awesome. Yeah. Um, that, that, I, may, like, I may be two, the only person on the planet who liked World Elite, but I fucking loved World Elite. I like their theme song with the, the harmonica in it. <laughs> I just thought they were such that was such a cool idea to like just put all these like younger guys together as this heel group just because they're like they're foreigners or whatever. But like I don't know, it never felt like overly xenophobic to me. Yeah. In a way, like maybe because they aren't all one nationality, it's just like this weird gimmick where it's like we're all better than you because you're Americans, and we're like, uh. and just I just remember the way they first came together though with like it was like some one of these segments that was like five seconds long on Impact with like people walking in the background after like an assault, and it's like, oh, I guess these four people are together now. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> it was really funny. But then Eric Young turns heel, and I thought his heel one was actually awesome, but. I don't know. And then, like, Hogan came in and Eric Young just disappeared. Yeah. Like, the for, like, two league. months, he just fell off the face of the earth. Do you remember, the, do you remember that weird feud they had in the main event mafia where, like, they first were going to form an alliance and they, yeah. then they, like, had it? I just, I was into all that stuff. I love Heel versus Heel stable feud anyway. And that uh, led to one of the, the coolest in, uh, segments in Impact history when it was basically the main event mafia and the world elite teaming together in, like, a, 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 it was like a two segment brawl just all over the building with basically yeah. the rest of the DNA roster. It's it's so good. It's it's just like this wild brawl. Like everyone's just fighting everywhere. And the main event mafia breaks up, and Ward Elite gets to go around and crow about how they won the war against main event mafia, even though that really isn't kind of what happened. But they're you know they're heels. Yeah. And it was a good line. And it's like they have all this heat. They they seem like a cool unit. They're, it's a for once it's a totally new thing. And it's like this is that this is like some of the best booking Vince Russo, like best actual booking Vince Russo probably did in his entire run. And then Hogan comes and just goodbye. Yeah. And like it's, right, it was, it was an interesting group of guys. It was Eric <laughs> Young, Kiyoshi, Hika Abdul Bashir, and the British Invasion. Yeah, it's like those are guys who haven't been exposed anywhere else. This is their thing, you know, the TNA guys that that it's their characters that they built up. And yeah, Hogan comes in and it's just like it's just everyone goes their separate ways. Yeah, goodbye, Eric. You can you can tee up in Nash, but then you're gonna be a comedy geek again soon. And it's yeah. like okay, it's fucking. Then then we're gonna kind of push you as a big deal for like two weeks when he he like he had that cage match with Hardy and Van Dam where he did the elbow off the cage and then he's kicked in the back of the head on an episode of Explosion falls headfirst to the floor and suddenly he's a deranged madman again. Yeah, which well, great gimmick too, but making fucking concussions. Mm. But um, <laughs> the and then at the same time that's going on, they have that awesome Kurt Angle Devin Wolf feud. Yep, and it's like okay, let's get stop all that. Let's 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 put the put the put the focus where it belongs on Val Venus. Of course, and, and that like was that. Like, yeah. Christopher that, Daniels. So that was why I hated that fucking period, the Hogan period, more than anything. Now, now I'm thinking of this and remembering. It was like that late Russo era before the Hogan era started. May have been my favorite period of TNA that Russo ever booked. Which I'm still that, convinced he was pandering to internet fans, so they'd like him over Hogan. But still, that, that might be that he did a great job. He did. Was, he did a good job because there, <laughs> Christopher Daniels main evented Turning Point in November against uh, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. He main evented uh, Final Resolution in December against AJ Styles, and then he lost to Val Venus in a mid card pay per view match in January. Yeah. Like, and yeah. after he lost that match, the crowd turned their back on the ring. <laughs> it's just like their guy that they've been watching in this company for eight damn years that Christopher Daniels who's put like more great performances in than a lot of people in the history of the company uh, a guy these people believed in lost to the random Hulk Hogan 
pal just coasting on in. He'd never do anything afterwards, Val Venus, or, or uh, was it Sean Morley? It's his, his... I really don't remember what, what fucking gimmick he had, but yeah. Who the fuck? And... Who knows and who fucking cares? Yeah, the, so we, we have the big January 4th, 2010 show, which is also where Bret Hart returned to the WWE, where they, they counter-programmed the big Hogan return. <laughs> so, so Hogan comes out, and he's just like, listen here, brother, everything was shit, but I'm here now, brother, and I'm going to save the day. <laughs> and then later in that show, Jeff Jarrett comes out, and it's like, Jeff Jarrett does this big like rallying promo, where it's like, we've worked so hard to get to this moment, and thank you to every single one of you fans, because without it, we wouldn't be able to make it here. And then and Hulk Hogan appears on the big screen and it's like listen brother you never achieved anything and then you're going the to the back of the line hogan out of the fucking building yeah the no, crowd I... were like well fuck you we just <laughs> cheered this guy this guy founded this company and we just we just bought into everything he just said we're so happy that he's here and we're here with him and you just came out and buried him for no reason screw you hulkster yeah so that was that was amazing like to see a crowd turn on hogan that fast but it was even better at the Genesis show because that is when they switched from the six-sided ring back to the four-sided ring. We want six sides. Yes, and Hulk Hogan opens that show standing next to Eric Bischoff and the crowd are chanting like as one, as a single voice, we want six sides. And Hulk Hogan turns to them and he's like, listen here, brother. Six sides only took you so far, brother. Four sides is where it's at. This is just traditional wrestling, not playpen wrestling, brother. So basically what he's saying is this thing that you like, this thing that you invested in, this thing that you know as TNA is worthless. You know, everything that happened before I was here doesn't matter. No use. Took you so far. But now this is the new TNA. And the new TNA, frankly, wasn't very good. No, it fucking sucked. I mean, again, like, um, you know, as much shit as people gave Russo and I a lot of it deserved. I would take 2009 over 2010 in a fucking heartbeat. Yeah, so, I mean, 2010 fucking sucked, and you know, I mean, Russo was still there, but you know, you have to give most of the the blame. I I feel like to, I mean, Hogan and Bischoff tried to spin it later, but like clearly they were the ones in charge. Yeah, like Bischoff, Bischoff will give you all the 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 excuses and the shit and all the reasons it didn't work, and it's like, oh, it was Dixie's fault and it was Russo's fault, and it's like you could tell, like like Bischoff had relatively reasonable creative control over that program. Yeah, he had a a strong creative voice in that show, and it didn't work because he didn't have any ideas that weren't from 1995. Yeah, I mean, like, like it, it basically like we went back. Like Russo, Russo had a lot of ideas. A lot of them were terrible, mm-hmm. but you know, when even at his worst, he did not feel like he was just do, booking the exact same thing he booked in 1997 WWF. Whereas Bischoff, just it, it felt like he was trying to recreate Nitro. It never worked, so I don't know. But I'm sounding like we must I'm sound like a they, Russo apologist on this show. So I need to say for the record, biggest fan. I, I have to say for the record, I didn't think he was any good. But like, just he, looking, he back destroyed on, the company. There's no denying yeah, that. But. No denying he destroyed the company. But looking back on it, I would still rather watch those 2009 shows and those 2010 shows. So yeah, so we, we must say <laughs> TNA declared war again. Speaking yes. of bringing back Monday Nitro, the Monday Night War. The, the 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 biggest thing about TNA's like Monday Night War launch is like on January fourth, two thousand ten, 
they launched against the WWE live on Monday night with a three-hour show, and more people watched that episode of Impact than any episode of Impact in the history of Impact. That show was watched by, I think, on average 1.9 million people. It peaked in like the, uh, the mid to high 2 millions. That's the most, the most anybody in the United States of America has ever watched TNA on television. So what do you think they did? That aired on a Monday. When was the next program? Ten days later. And by the way, what they got for that, what they got for their trouble was like Val Venus. Yeah, like they got, they got nasty program, boys. They got a program they would never, they would never make a single person be like, "Oh, I gotta check this out now." Well, there was good stuff on that show. They, there was a really good Hamada and Kong against uh, Taylor Wilde and Sarita match. That's true. And uh, there was uh, probably the best Kurt Angle against AJ Styles match. Yeah. There was also like nasty voice skits and freaking Val Venus and Lacey Von Eric and all these other things that happened. Was Lacey around before that? I'm actually, I I don't remember. I really feel the need to say I don't like Vince Russo because now I think coming (laughs) off this episode, people are going to think I love Vince Russo. I don't. I think he's fucking terrible and I would never, like if I was going to hire somebody to book a wrestling promotion, my, my point though is if somebody like, if somebody made me own a wrestling promotion and then took a gun out and pointed at my head and said, you have to pick to book this promotion, either Bischoff or Russo, or I'm going to shoot you. I would take, <laughs> I, I would take Russo every time. But, uh, yeah. So, so they did... actually, I might say pull the trigger, but who knows? <laughs> I'll take this relief of death. <laughs> um, yeah, they debuted on Monday nights on January 4th. They didn't have another new program for another 10 days until the, not the Thursday after, like the Thursday week. So they went back to Thursdays for two months. So rather than like strike while the iron was hot and like this big show with all these big stars and like Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam and all these big stars would show up. They went back to Thursdays for two months and then debuted on Mondays head to head. So basically (laughs) no one cared anymore. Yes. They waited until like the exact moment where no one could possibly care. I do remember they they had a giant billboard in times in like uh, not Times Square, right across the street from Penn Station in New York, at the time, and it was like, um, I think it was Hogan just saying like this means war, brother, or something. <laughs> oh and God! Like, and they did the freaking Montreal screw job thing with Kurt. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about that until right now. This or- is this is this is this is again, folks. This is 2010. Yeah, this is, not, this is not. We're not talking about something from 1998 here. This is 2010. We're doing this because yeah, this was Val, right after Val, Brent had returned. So Val they, Venus, this... Val Venus, and the Nasty Boys and the screw and the Bret Hart screw job. Yeah, so they did this thing where uh, where Hogan kind of screwed Kurt out of a title match against AJ, and Kurt spat in Hogan's face and wrote WWE in initial uh, in initials in the air, and actually that uh, that actually did a decent rating, and then no one came back the next week. So. Yeah. What does that tell you? <laughs> People watched it because they were interested, and then they're like, "Well, this is a bit shit, isn't it?" Yeah. And this is also the period where AJ decided to be the mini nature boy, which fed him like, yeah, you know, I don't know, like spandex on a bear or something. Mm-hmm. That like, rope did not suit AJ in the slightest, did it? No, it didn't work at all. It led to fortune, which was a good stable, um, with a and- with a really, with a really cool theme. Yes, I built. A, I had an argument with somebody recently. Yeah, I had an argument with Liam Jones recently at Larrikin on Twitter, and he he was like, "Oh, the Fortune theme is really bad," and I I basically shouted at him for for quite a while about how good the Fortune theme is. Oh, we also had the Abyss knockoff. Abyss was the Hulk Hogan knockoff with the Hall of Fame ring giving him his superpowers. Yeah, 
I mean, um, oh yeah, that too. Like this period. Okay, I, I really feel the need to say again, this period does not get near enough. Like let's let's talk about these years, okay? These really quickly, the Russo slash Bischoff years. If we're gonna rank them, let's say oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, ten. Yeah, I'm gonna rank them in order from worst to best. Twenty ten is the winner for worst for me by mm. far. Just total fucking shit from beginning to end. Do you agree? Yeah. But there was some good wrestling. There was some good wrestling. Well, there's always some good wrestling, though, in all these years. So, like, I'm just, but like, the storylines are always really bad. But anyway, so 2010 is the worst year. Um, then I would go 2007, then 08, then 09. You see, I'd, I'd rank them in, in chronological order from best to worst. So, oh. 7, 8, 9, 10. I, I, there's a steady decline there. You didn't, you didn't like 9 as much as I did, I guess. No, I, I did love that. I think 9 is a lot of good like character stuff but like bar the last three months of the year like the first nine months of the year the wrestling is pretty dire i see what you're saying yeah i mean the, to me i just remember the first nine months being good character stuff and those last three months being the best of this entire period mm. by, by a mile probably so after that but you're but it just maybe it's it could just be also that 2010 is so bad that it's making 09 look better in my comparison <laughs> but yeah um that's how i guess that's how i rank them but we we totally we we went right past it the barbed wire Christmas tree. Oh, we did. We oh, that was, right this is why 2007 okay. is so the, high on the list. That to me that that's why 2007 is low. But like at the same time, it's so fu- it's so bad that it's hilarious. Yes. So this is like the they did this amazing episode. Okay, it was a Christmas themed episode. Mm-hmm. And during this episode, we had a barbed wire Christmas tree match. It, it was, was called, called what, a Silent what? Night, Bloody Night, <laughs> the barbed wire Christmas tree match. And obviously, they did not really have a Christmas tree made of actual barbed wire. Yes, yeah, so, they did more or less. <laughs> but the barbed wire was fake. Was it? Are you questioning the? It wasn't sticking to them. They are you questioning like, the legitimacy of pro wrestling? They had okay. So to to sell this barbed wire, they mm-hmm. would have to grab it, this Christmas tree, and yeah. like give it a hug and yeah. hold on to it for dear fucking life as it swayed back and forth to sell that they were stuck in this barbed wire. You have never seen a person trying so hard to hold on to something that they're supposedly stuck to. It's, it was an amazing dichotomy of like what it's supposed to be and what it actually is. A man just hugging this tree. Like I'm pantomiming it right now. I wish you could see me. Just <laughs> hugging this tree as hard as he can. Like desperately, like like I just I can't even describe it. I'm laughing so hard just thinking about it again. This is why bad. this is why as terrible as Vitruso is, at least he brought me moments like this of utter joy I, I will remember this fucking christmas tree from from the day i saw it until the day i stopped breathing okay that is one of those things that will stick with you for the rest of your life so, it, it, which it, i can't it, say for anything in wwe in the past like five fucking years anyway was, wasn't it black rain who was hugging the christmas tree i believe so so he he had that full body suit he was clearly protected oh god it was just amazing just like hugging this tree and Relic, that's Killer uh, spelled backwards. That is Killer spelled backwards. They never, if you weren't watching TNA at the time, this man would come out and they would tell you on average at least five times per match that Relic was Killer spelled backwards like, every literally, time he appeared. Every time he was introduced by TNA, it's like, oh, it's Relic. That's Killer spelled backwards, don't you know? It's one of these gimmicks where it's like, you know what? I'm. That is a little clever, 
but you it, that's the kind of gimmick where you can't fucking you don't tell them that <laughs> like you let them figure that out and, yeah. and they, they look at it they look at it on their screen or whatever and they like, oh that is killer's phone like they, they notice it maybe you bring it up like a month later once for the real idiots that didn't get it but you don't fucking say it 10 times per ep- like like whatever effect you're supposed to create by doing by doing this, it's like, oh, here comes the guy, and they're gonna tell me it's killer spelled backwards ten thousand times. Like that's not really the desired effect of giving him this gimmick. That but, Christmas episode also featured a reindeer ladder match. But yeah, the reindeer ladder match. But isn't it didn't it also feature like um like a, a North Pole match or something? Yeah, there was the was knockout like, North Pole. Okay, that's not one of their costume matches. That's not the one I was thinking of then. There's another match where they but yeah, there, there was a steel cage match on that show, but it had Christmas lights on the cage. Okay. But was there also one where, like, there were two poles and it was, like, Team 3D and the Machine Guns? And, like, there were two different gimmicks, one on each pole? Maybe I'm thinking of a different show. Yeah. Because I, 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 I just remember that there were these two poles that each had a gimmick on it. Um, if the Moshe Machine Guns won and got their gimmick, then they would then... They're having a match, everybody, to determine the stipulation of another match. They're having a stipulation match to determine the stipulation of another stipulation match. But it's Russo! Anything imaginable. Yeah. So, so the, there's two poles. One of them had... If the Moshe Machine, Machine Guns get over to the other, other side of the ring, get their, get their like, envelope down, then, then they will have an Ultimate X match with Team 3D. These, these two fucking fans are trying to clash the stick. But... If Team 3D gets to their pole, then they will have a Taipei glass table match where basically the winner will be the first one to put their opponent through a table of glass, a sheet of glass. And Mike Tanay introduced this with the same inflection in his, in his voice that you and I, you or I might talk about our shopping list. <laughs> Mike Tanay is sitting there like, yeah, if Team 3D wins, it's going to be a glass Table class death match. He did not give a fucking shit that one of these that Team 3D wins his match, they will gonna have a match where a man's gonna go through a plate of fucking glass. He did not care. This did not register on Mike Tenay's list of concerns at all. He did not give a single fucking shit that a man might have to go through a table of glass. This seems like a big deal. Like I'm watching how like this, this seems like kind of a big deal. They, uh, to be clear, they'd never done anything like even remotely like this. There have never been any light tubes, like nothing like that. So to suddenly hear, oh yeah, Team 3D wins this match, by the way. Uh, the next match is going to be a, who can put each other through a glass table first. It's like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? And why does anybody care about this? It did end up... Of course, most of the machine guns won a match, and it, it's never mentioned again. It was yeah, it ended up being a, an ultimate X match. Yeah, match. yeah. But I just remember that, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Everyone, this is by the way, this is the December twentieth, two thousand seven show. Everybody yeah. should watch it. It's the, like the best two hours of television you'll ever see. But uh, where were we? We're, yeah. Let's go on to Immortal. <laughs> but I just, I, I'm, I have to like reco- recompose myself now because <laughs> I got uh, so. I'm, angry. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not really not angry. I'm just like more like amazed. Like at the time, I was kind of mad, but more. But now I'm just like I'm just amazed. Like that this really happened. This is the thing that happened on this program. But in hindsight, it's just fucking hilarious. Like like Mike Kennedy, he didn't care at all. Did, in fairness, they did bring back the glass table. Yeah. They, okay, they did, and then they, they put Christian through it. Okay. 
So and they made a big deal of that. They did like the next segment was all like, "Oh, Mike today in his hushed, concerned voice." So Mike today made up for it. <laughs> okay, so he, he he Mike today just didn't care about a theoretical glass table. Yeah, he, he, wanted, he, he wanted to see it happen first, I guess. Mike today is a practical man, not a theoretical one. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so there's there's TNA. Um, back to Immortal. So Immortal. Mm-hmm. So Abyss suddenly turns heel one week on Impact after yep. after, after being Mr. Hulk Hogan. He's Mr. Hulk Hogan all this time. Um, I remember that heel term was it was really weird at the time. Like it was like, why is he suddenly? He's killing everybody. Yeah, he just starts yeah. killing everybody, and he brings right. out his his death stick, which he calls Janice, which they yep. named that because that's the real name of Dixie Carter's mother. Everybody. Yep. Um, but seriously, what? Which actually, what... Uh, they they named um, what's her name? Salinas is what they named, which is Dixie Carter's husband, Serge yeah. Salinas. What's her What's her name? I don't know. The one from LAX? Shelly Martinez. There we go. Yeah, okay. Um, the, but anyway, so like the, um, that whole gimmick, I mean, did, didn't that heel turn feel like it was just completely out of nowhere at the time? That's because it he, probably was. He did that. He did that whole, he was on such a great run as a baby face. Like, and like he had, he had been heel for so long before he turned face. It was just really, it felt really weird. He, he did the big like I'm Hulk Hogan, uh, 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 the ring gives me power thing, which and was stupid. He but... he pivoted into a feud with Desmond Wolf over basically who had the right to own Chelsea as a slave. Yeah, <laughs> and then literally right after that, on the, like the week after that, he just starts killing everybody, and he like shoves the ring down Hogan's throat. It's like Jesus. Yeah, like what? Guy, so he starts talking about how they, oh, they, they, they. So he makes it clear that somebody somebody else is controlling him, and then he starts talking about ten, 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 which mm-hmm. just so happens to be the date of Bound for Glory. I was at that show. Oh wow, were you? Yeah, okay. I was mad. Was that your first? Was that your first TNA like event or no? It was my first TNA pay per view. I would have ended, attended a house show or two before that. Okay, or three. So, so TNA they built up this ten, ten, ten thing, um, they, in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. They have the, the entire year, basically, uh, Sting is a heel again. Mm. And he and Kevin Nash are talking about how... Hulkster's corrupt, basically. Yeah, the yeah. corrupt. They're, they're like, this Hulkster guy is not what he appears. But you they, should but all believe us. But they're heels, so they make it clear they're heels. Yeah, the Sting and, Sting, Sting and Nash are presented as the bad guys, saying, this Hulkster guy is not all he's made up to be. And he, they're trying to convince Dixie to believe them. Yeah. If you think about it, it's actually not a terrible story. So yeah. you have you have have Hogan introduced as this guy. He, he recruits Abyss as his lackey, who ends up having Abyss do his dirty work, which explains the heel turn because yeah. Hulk Hulk's, Hulk's a bad guy all along, basically. Hulk yeah. Hulk's trying to take over the company, and Sting's like, "This guy's a con artist. He's scamming you. I can see what's happening." And Dixie's like, "No, Sting. Hulk is here to save us." On the surface, that's not a terrible idea. It, in it practice. It, it kind of was. In practice, it made no sense, and it led to one. It did lead to an amazing moment where Sting takes off the Sting mask, revealing Sting. Yes, it's still still an all time great TNA moment. Or, or we did mention the debut of Rob Van Dam, which, if you want to kill Rob Van Dam dead in in ten minutes, this is how you do it. Because Sting is in the ring, and 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 he's like Dixie's like you have a, a, an opponent right now. RVD beats Sting in about eight seconds, and then Sting beats the unmerciful shit out of RVD with a baseball bat for ten minutes. Yeah. I'm not joking. It's literally ten. He hits him like like twenty seven times with a baseball bat over and over and over again until the crowd are like, 
well, we don't care about the RVD guy anymore. <laughs> and then he wins the world title. And then he wins the world title, <laughs> and then he loses the world title because Abyss maims him with his death stick. Yes, and then but then he comes back a month later anyway, so it was like, yeah. what was the point? Like, he literally could have defended his title on the next pay-per-view, apparently. He could have. Like, what was the point of him vacating his title? Um, but yeah, so RV, the whole RVD thing, very weird. And he also had like one of the worst theme songs in TNA. Oh, it's history. the worst. Oh, it's terrible. Van Kushnader yeah. should be like, 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 committed to some kind of asylum for coming up with that. Oh my god, that thing is so terrible. Um, if you've never heard it, good. Don't don't good, listen yeah. to it. Don't 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 do it. Just don't subject yourself to that. You may be curious after hearing Garrett and I talk about it, but I'm telling you right now, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, if you're not, you're, it's just not worth it. Just don't do it. Anyway, um, back to, but yeah, so we get to 10, 10, 10 at that point. So, um, they also joined up with Nash and Sting joined up with the Pope, mm-hmm. um, that not the actual Pope or everybody, uh, whatever the fuck his name is. It's was. the actual Pope. It's the yeah, real, the pope. actual, the real Pope. What the, the hell De Niro, who they pushed De Niro, thank you. as a main event guy that year. And he nearly caught on until they ruined it. Yeah. Like Pope, if you watch like the first four months of 2010 in TNA, those Pope promos rule. Where it's a Dusty Rhodes knockoff, but it works. It's charismatic. He, people like them, and then they ruined it. Yeah, he should have beaten AJ, not freaking RVD. Yeah, I was so mad at that. Actually, I was so mad when when RVD was the one that beat AJ. Like I was sulking for a week. It's just like. RVD, this washed up hack, walks in here and beats AJ, beats, who had the longest TNA title run in history up until that point. Bobby Roode eventually beat it. And it's just like, RVD. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they <laughs> arrived. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, Jeff Jarrett started feuding with Sting for a while because Jeff Jarrett was like, no, Hulk Hogan's a good guy. Everyone should like Hulk Hogan. Which brings me back to like if you go back to the start of the year where Hulk Hogan is berating Jeff Jarrett and he forces him to like clean bathrooms and, and flip burgers. Was this part of their long con or something? Uh yeah, I <laughs> don't I don't that. analyze the story too much. I'm trying to think of an answer now. But I remember the reason why the reason why I did narrow drama with them is because he was sleeping with uh Bischoff's secretary. Yes, Miss Tessmacher, I think was it Tessmacher. Miss Tessmacher, named after the Superman character. Yeah, and then he he like so so he got information out of her basically, and that's why he decided to join them. Mm-hmm. Um, she she spilled the beans in the yeah. bed. So the three of them are facing Samoa Joe. It was supposed to be Samoa Joe, Jeff Jarrett, and Hulk Hogan, with like you know they're standing up for they're standing up for Hogan against these evil Nash and Sting fellas. But then Hogan broke his back legitimately and like couldn't do the match. So Which was basically the story of Hogan's TNA run. It's like they were supposed yeah. to have a match, but then Hulk Hogan's back collapsed. And then we end up with a three-on-two match, and then Jarrett walks out on him, and everybody's like, well, that was weird. But in the end, it turns out Sting and Nash were right all along because we get the big turn where it turns out the they is a very, very, very limping Hulk Hogan, like mm-hmm. limping on crutches, and Eric Bischoff. Literally straight out of surgery. Yeah, and it's like that. That was a big issue, I think, with this whole storyline. It's like it's hard to really boo a guy who's like looks like he can barely move. Mm. Oh, this evil dastardly man who like can barely move. Yeah, who who dragged himself out of a uh, out of a hospital bed right after getting surgery just to be here. Yeah, but but he's evil. Yeah, it was very very, very weird. Um, 
but yeah, so that was like the weird ass storyline there. And then, you know, they helped Jeff Hardy win. Jeff Hardy turns heel for the first time. Gets quite the run that Jeff Hardy that Jeff Hardy heel run. Oh yeah, it does. And that goes places. Then we have so then we have the 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 stable of immortal, which is like it turns out Jeff Jarrett was in it. And mm-hmm. uh, so he turns heel for the first time in a while. Totally rips off Triple H's uh like whole like aesthetic for that, for like his video package at the time. And you know, I don't know. We do, however, get the double J double MMA period <laughs> during yes. that time. <laughs> which made the whole thing worth it, frankly. <laughs> Where Jeff Jarrett pretended to be an MMA fighter and beat up children. Yeah, so that was something. But but Immortal itself, no good. Terrible. Um, the, I think I think the worst stable in TNA history. It's up there, at least. I think 2011 is the worst year in TNA history. Yeah. There's I mean, nothing There's nothing about 2011. Like, the last three months when they start pivoting to, like, Rude and Storm and people like that. And I guess Aerie shows up and does some good stuff. But like, even AJ didn't have a good year that year. He had, like, yeah. the Bully Ray match at anniversary, the last one standing, which is a great match. And then, I don't know, he did nothing else. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 2011's really fucking like that. May might be the the bottom of the barrel for this whole era, yeah. and that was like that was the era where they stopped recruiting good indie guys. Like they 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 recruited the young bucks and drove them away. But like there there was a time where where like TNA would have been first to Kevin Owens, they would have been first to freaking El Generico, they would have been first to all the like people like Cesaro and Seth Rollins, all the people WWE signed and are basically they're ruining right now but still that's a story for another day <laughs> but like there was a time where TNA would have been first to those people they were first to Styles they were first to Joe they were first to Daniels they were first to Saban to Shelley to Aries they were first these... to CM Punk they were first to Punk exactly <laughs> they were first to all of the like Nigel McGuinness worked a dark match on a TNA pay-per-view against Shark Boy and lost but like th- there was a time where TNA would have been first to all these people Jay Lethal's another one and yeah. then they, they just stopped hiring those people and then, like, the, those chickens came home to roost when you had the Crimsons and the Gunners and the Anarchias. And these are the people that are like, well, we're a Jesse Neals that we're going to push. Not like Austin Aries or Roderick Strong or, or like, hot indie guys who can have great matches even if they're booked badly. It's just, yeah. like, they're bad wrestlers who have bad matches when they're booked well. This is, this is, this is basically the end, basically. Of it, I think, the beginning of the end of what we think. Because, like, okay, what you're saying here is basically TNA... What, what, what was TNA's appeal during the periods we talked about? You would get, and I'm not, I'm, and obviously the company was never that financially successful. So even it's not like this was like a this world beating um, formula. But at they least turned a profit once. Yeah, yeah. At least, yeah, I mean, at least it, ha- it had a lot more fan interest. So I feel like. But oh well, like, yeah, like one point four or five million people watch Impact every week. That's yeah. no, that's no mean feat in modern yeah. wrestling. So like it had this this run all these years where you would combine you would have these marquee stars, mm-hmm. um, this incredible incredibly bad but unable to turn your face ter- face away from it crash TV booking, and all these people you just mentioned having awesome matches all the time like yeah. as bad as the Russo era is, um you know for a lot of a lot of ways it's not like there weren't still awesome matches happening, like these guys still wrestled and still did awesome matches. You know, not every pay-per-view had one. You know, there, I feel like there was a run where they, you know, in there, there were runs in there where they, they they weren't having awesome matches. But, like, these guys were around, and they were wrestling each other on pay-per-view in, like, 20-minute matches. Like, they were, even during, like, the darkest part of the Russo era, you would still get the occasional awesome match with with, yeah. Samoa, with Samoa Joe or AJ Styles or Christopher Daniels or something. So, like, this was, this was, like, so that was the TNA formula pre-Hogan. Post-Hogan, you still had the marquee stars, 
You still had the terrible booking. Mm-hmm. Honestly, may, may, I, I would argue even worse in the Russo period. And but you didn't have the the indie guys, the hot indie guys having awesome matches. That was over. Yeah. So I, you know, and the the ones who have been around have been around, and you know they were they only wrestled each other so many times. And the, it turned into like ninety, you know, the the worst of like ninety eight WCW basically. Yeah, where, you still had like the likes of Joe and Angle and Styles, but like on average, those guys didn't have very good years in in twenty eleven. They had nothing to do. And even in twenty ten, they didn't, they really didn't do that much. So I don't know. It's, it's like that to me. Like there is a line there where like as bad as TNA might have been. There was still something to it, and mm-hmm. during those during the pre Hogan years, there was something there that they lost. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like like it it wasn't you, you could, yeah it wasn't before good, but it wasn't it but it was better than it became. Yeah, and before like Hogan and Bischoff came in, you could identify something that you could call TNA. And by 2011, you looked at that product and you're like, what even is it? Yeah, like it like the six sided ring is now four sided. You know, the X Division somehow means even less. It was non-existent um, for the non-existent. 2010 I mean, to 2011. Like, again, as bad as Russo booked it, at least, like, it was, like, the, it was, it was pretty crap in 2008, 2009, too. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, like, I just remember, like, that Team 3D feud with the X Division. Like, you know, that's not good, but at least it's it's something. Like, they're, it's they're, a story, they're, yeah. They're doing a story. Like, they're trying. You know, and it's not like it's it's just because it, it, it sucks in a lot of ways, but, like, Compared to what came later, it looks like it's great. And, like, yeah, I don't know. So, like, there's no exhibition anymore. Like, I who the fuck were tag champions in 2011? I have no idea. I, I really wasn't barely one. Beer money for most of the year. Okay, well, they're, they're good. So there you go. They didn't have much to work with, but it was beer money for most with. of the year. But, like, after that, I guess we get, like, Mexican-America and shit, so. Yeah, it was beer money from January. Like, the guns lost the belts of beer money at Genesis. And then beer money held the belts until right after No Surrender in September. And it was yeah. Mexican America for the rest of the year. So that's what we had to work with after that. So there you go. And then you know, the, so the tag division isn't what it used to be, and mm. you know that's and and then at, like there is nothing there. There's no there there. Like you have Jeff Hardy, you know, and and Matt Hardy doing like sleepwalking through shit. Jeff Hardy quite literally showing up on drugs for pay per view main event. Um, you know, I, I, I guess Bully Ray could be the highlight, but even. I I, always, I don't know. People love that run. It's just he was fine. He and, was really good in first. I, it's right. hard to look at Bully Ray, who is terrible, <laughs> not as, as a performer or a wrestler, just generally as a person, and and be nice to him. But he was very good during that. Okay, I, we'll just we'll agree to disagree because I didn't I didn't I never really cared for him that much. But um, I don't I it just just the entire the entire year just like there's just nothing. And and again, even as someone who was a very casual TNA fan, I never, you know, I went to one TNA pay per view my entire life, which was um, TNA um, Lockdown 2009, which happened to be in Philadelphia. And I was like, you know, I guess we can go to this. It wasn't like I was dying to go to or anything. It's just like, why not? Um, but that was the only TNA pay per view I ever went to. And I never really went to, you know, I went to one, that one house show we talked about that was being really a TNA show. And I went to one TV taping during the really like when I went to a TV taping, it was a last minute decision because TNA felt like they were about to die. That is during that the was, period where I wrote the death of TNA article that's been <laughs> sitting on my computer for three years. <laughs> but like I was, I, I, I live and work in New York by that point, And I was just like, you know, they, this could be like the last set of TV tapings ever. I might as well go and pay my respects. And I left early. 
because I couldn't take it. Like it was, those New York shows were good. Oh, there was like, I don't know. The Hardys, Team 3D Wolves stuff, like Simone Joe and Loki did some stuff. Maybe I picked the wrong day, but like it just was promo after promo after promo. Like there was no wrestling. On that great movie versus Robbie E match on those tapings. Yeah, so I don't know what I, I have to go look and see what, what taping I picked. I did not get any good any great matches. I was there for like an hour and a half and just it was just getting lots of prom like lots of promos and no, like the matches were all five minutes long and I just really got sick of it and I was like I can't take this anymore and I left. So I missed the cool freaking louder match between the Hardys Wolves and it's, two. It's very possible I did, but I just Which I'm pretty sure I ranked as like the seventh best match in the history of Impact. I was very sick of all the promos. I couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> you couldn't listen to MVP talking anymore. No, I was just really MVP. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave now. I didn't total nonstop talking. Whoa. Um, <laughs> you really showed them there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But I, I don't like that was the only that's I think I still think that's the only wrestling show I ever left early. Oh, it surely wasn't that bad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because I'm trying to think of it. I, I know I never... Oh, no, no, okay. There's one other wrestling show I left early. I left a Ring of Honor show early um, where I really wasn't that into Ring of Honor at that point. And there was like a... I, I Basically, the, the New York Rangers were playing at home in a playoff game that I had tickets to. And the Ring of Honor show had started kind of early. But I was like, I'm just going to go to like the first two hours of the Ring of Honor show and then go to the Ranger game after that, because the hockey game was literally across the street. <laughs> like Master of the Gardens across the street from Manhattan Center. So I was like, okay. So I think that's the only other show I left early. But um, th- those would be the only two. Um, anyway. <laughs> Back to TNA, though. I don't, what, the, what the fuck were you talking about? I guess 2011? Yeah, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> it, was really, it was really bad. And 2011 was terrible. Um, I don't, do we even want to talk about Aces and Eights? I fuck it. They fucking they're so bad. I hate it. I hate it. Like Aces and Eights. You see, the, the problem with Aces and Eights is like, as a stable, it's like a bank a biker gang. Okay, that's it's not terrible. It's it's a Sons of Anarchy ripoff. Fine, but you know, the problem was the stable consisted of Garrett Bischoff, Wes Briscoe, Nux, Ken Anderson, Devon, and Bully Ray. It's like, could you concoct a less like compelling group of human beings to form a stable of than that? <laughs> and Ken, wasn't Ken Anderson only there for like two weeks? Yeah, he, he was. Oh, we had Doc Gallows as well. Yeah, because they, they were gonna the the big thing was gonna be turning Doc Gallows to feud with Bully Ray, but then Doc Gallows left and went to New Japan, so they ended up turning Anderson instead. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I really I really wasn't watching, so I can't really say anything about them other than I know they existed. But I don't really know. Like, I, I, they they started sending like playing cards, right? Yeah, they they debuted on the the Impact After Slam anniversary two thousand twelve. Uh, three masked men showed up and beat up Sting in like the the worst beatdown you'll ever see in your life. It's just like they're stomping him like two or three times, and then they fade to black. It's like this was supposed to be a big angle. <laughs> and I, I think Nux was one of them, or Mike Knox, and I think he kind of fell over. Oh, Dio Brown was a freaking member of Aces Eights. Why, why was the stable? Yeah, it's uh, it's something. I don't know. Like, and, and that was like twenty. That was like so. Immortal's already gone, right? Yep. Immortal so, just faded into the ether after Bound for Glory twenty eleven. Okay. So, but I don't know who the heels were between Immortal and Aces and Eights. You see, that's the thing. There were none. There was just there was Bobby Roode in his title run. 
Bully Ray was a heel on the show. Austin Aries was a heel before he turned and then won the title. And like during that period, they were just like, let's have good characters, have good wrestling matches, and tell some decent stories. And let's get out of the way of doing like a big heel angle, you know, the big this thing that runs through the whole show that that, that ties everything together, which I actually I think wrestling doesn't need any anymore i prefer the idea of like condensed stories that you just move from one story to the next mm-hmm. as opposed to having this big 1997 attitude era style thing where it's like this is the through line that runs through everything so in 2012 they just like they just produced a good television show for a few months i say so that was a, so there's not a, another case where they couldn't get out of their own way yeah and then they, they have to do their big angle they have to do the big aces and eights thing and it was terrible. And like and the Bully Ray reveal was apparently supposed to happen at Bound for Glory, but then they're like, nah, push it back. So they pushed it back six months. So the, the period between October and um, April, October 2012 and April 2013, where they did the big reveal that Bully Ray is the leader of Aces and Eights, it was basically just filler. <laughs> it's like they planned to do that reveal in October. They pushed it back to April. It's just like, let's just fill time. Let's do a Brooke wedding with Bully and we'll do that whole story. And then we'll bring Tito Ortiz in and we'll have Rampage Jackson there and no one will... We'll do the AJ Styles heel turn, which weirdly somehow informed what AJ Styles would become for the rest of his career, which who would have seen that coming? Yeah, it is really weird that like he was, AJ came to New Japan basically doing a failed TNA character. Yeah, he was doing that character and he's still doing that character to a degree today. Like yeah. the, AJ Styles' WWE character is a combination of that and the goofy AJ Styles' Christian sidekick. Yeah, you know when when AJ's doing his heel stuff as champion last year, that's that was basically like a main event version of the goofy Christian sidekick character. Yeah, but like, so like he has that. So what was the deal with that AJ Turner? He just basically was like, he was the Sting, right? But like, well, he, yeah, he, he was losing his touch. Basically, he was teaming with Kurt for a while, and then he he started like making mistakes in the ring, and then Daniels beat him in their like last ever match, and then AJ got all moody and left for six months. Mm. And then he came back and he was attacking everybody or something. Yeah, he was just he, he was grumpy. He didn't care anymore. It was his emo phase. You know, he was just angry at the world. Yeah, and then people thought he was going to join Ace of the Nates, but then he didn't. I do love like that last year of AJ Styles' contract from say October to October or to well January. He ended up extending it. Uh, he did nothing from it was January from December 2013 to May 2014. He wasn't around. Then he, he was around until October, and then they signed him to a three-month extension, and then didn't have him, have him on television. So of, the idea was to do the CM Punk thing right, right? That was like yeah. so he went. He defended the belt in AAA. He defended the belt in Wrestle One, and then he came back and lost it to Magnus. Because <laughs> he left. That's that's the reason. He, I, 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 maybe he would have won. I'm not sure if if he signed a new deal, but yeah, he just left. They rolled yeah, him, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, he was making three hundred fifty grand a year. They offered him two hundred, and yeah. like any reasonable human being, he was like, "Screw you." He's like, "Yeah, let me see what New Japan is offering." <laughs> Basically, his reaction. Yeah. Um, like WWE offered him shit all when he left as well. WWE yeah. offered him like slightly above a developmental deal. Then he went to New Japan and became trendy, and Triple H suddenly saw him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like that's that whole deal i guess um we, we just covered a lot actually yeah but there's really nothing redeeming about ace and nates it's terrible it's the worst yeah. never watch it yeah and from main... motorbikes and then um main event mafia reforms to feud with them which was i don't remember anything about that either except i, I mean i shouldn't i wasn't watching but like mm-hmm. yeah that seemed pretty shitty um, yeah, but, yeah it wasn't great 
And that did lead to Rampage Jackson having a wrestling match, though. <laughs> that does sound funny. And uh, of all the people, like they had him in that wrestling match, they paired him with Wes Briscoe. <laughs> it was a five-on-five match. It's just like, you do your stuff with Wes Briscoe, notably awful pro wrestler, and Jerry Briscoe, his father, has blocked me on Twitter for saying how bad he is. <laughs> <laughs> like he has everybody else. If you're not blocked by Jerry Briscoe, you haven't badmouthed Wes Briscoe enough. But yeah, if you watch that match, they do these like terrible lockups where they, they just look and like I've always baffled when like real fighters throw the worst punches of all time. And if you watch like the Rampage's punches in that match, they're terrible. Um, but yeah, so that's that's that whole Aces and Eights period. Yeah. And then I don't I don't even what, what was twenty fourteen? Twenty fourteen was the like they bring Russo back. Because Russo was gone from the start of 2012 until the end of 2013, and stuff was more or less, it was better. Like the like there was good wrestling on the show. There was some good stuff. Like 2012 on the on the whole was a really good year. 2013 not so much, mostly because of Aces and Aces. Aces and Aces just dried that whole show down. Uh, they went on the road that year, lost a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, okay. That was the year they went on the road. Okay. So where they they stopped taping at the Impact Zone, right? Yep, so they, they went all over the country taping. They do a live show and then tape for the following week, so they do two shows at once, and they lost a load of money. Like, of all the decisions that was made, that's the one that basically killed the company. That's that's right. the one that led the company to being in the state that it is today because they lost a ton of money, and then Dixie's parents were like, we're kind of fed up with this, all right? We're not putting any more money into this thing. Yeah, like they just didn't want to. They just didn't want to do it anymore. Which you can't, you can't blame them. Like, how much money are they expected to lose? We yeah, we've owned this thing for over a decade now, and it has made money once. There was yeah. a brief period in two thousand nine where this company was profitable, and all the other times since, it's just lost a ton of money. We're out. Just, just try and make it work. We're out. And then that's so basically. Okay, I didn't know that. So that was a period that made money was two thousand nine. Yeah, there was so a, they... there was a. So they ruined it with Hogan. They really yeah. they threw money at Hogan and a bunch of other people, like probably Hardy and Van Dam, and started losing money again. So all they had to do was keep. Uh, I, I, this this is just this makes this even more amazing. All, if they just kept doing what they were doing in two thousand nine, they may have just like they may have been able to ride that to like like permanent profitability, or at least instead, like stability. Stability, and said they they threw it away for Hogan. They threw, threw it away for Hulk. That, that makes that even more amazing. I did not even know that they were profitable in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. But I, but that makes sense because that I, again that is the year to me that they felt the most like like they felt like they were a thing. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, but... they, they were they're like as I said, they were doing a million and a half people on Spike every week. Spike was paying them good money for those numbers. They were like it feels like 2010 is the beginning of the end in hindsight. Then, but because I think 2009 was when they did like the big Spike renewal, like and that's probably when they got their biggest offer from Spike. Yeah. And then things started I mean, that, going downhill. You know, the pay-per-view buy rates probably weren't weren't great or anything, but they might have been doing like twenty thousand or something, which yeah. looked, compared to the, what they were doing years later is like probably <laughs> probably a high point. If, then, if, I'd imagine they just snatch your hand off for twenty thousand pay-per-view buy rates now. Yeah, and it's like I don't know, two two thousand nine, man. That was the year that they just if they had never done Hogan and just continued what they were doing, they'd probably still they'd probably be in a lot better state than they they are today. They'd probably be fine. <laughs> well, who who knows? So much could have happened. Yeah, but, yeah. But they, they they have much better chance. Let's say that. Um, so yeah, we're we're in roughly 2014. Dixie's put through a table. Yeah, 
That's the big thing from 2014. You weren't at that show, I assume. No. Which, in fairness, people gave out about that, but I think it worked as a moment. Oh, so Hogan's gone at this point, right? He left at the end of Oh, yes. Hogan left at the end of 2013, where, where the, the, the last Dixie, we see... Dixie crawled up the ramp. Yeah, holding on to his leg as he walks out of the building. The great Dixie that, heel turn. Yeah, that's the, the... Oh, God. Oh, no. I don't even want to talk about the Dixie heel turn. We have Dixie Land, and Dixie is the main character on the show for a good year. Yeah. And then, yeah... So they went. I don't, I, I don't really know. What do you think of the Dixie Hill thing? I don't really have any great opinions on it. I, I wasn't really watching, so I just it always seems stupid to me from afar. But I never really had. I can't really give a strong opinion on it. Like there, there's no reason for her to be on the show. Like there, there's no reason for her to be on the show. You're taking time away from like Magnus was supposed to be the top heel, but Dixie would get all the promo time. Magnus would have his legs cut out from under him because he's the, the usual Jeff Jarrett champion cheating and the mountains of interference when he beat aj for the belt i think that match had 11 people run in yeah which is insane and like i think they did a good job building to that table moment where like people would have some like intergender problems but i I don't think it was ever presented as that it's just like this character is getting her comeuppance for the years of torment she's put all these people through and I, i can kind of get the visual it's like a bunch of men surrounding the ring cheering on a woman being put through a table but as a character moment, it was fine. I think it worked, and no, no one, no, the the same number of people haven't watched Impact since. Yeah, I mean that's it's something. Also, like when Sting left that ep- that last Sting episode, uh, more people haven't watched an episode of Impact since that either. So, I do think like that double whammy of like they lost Sting and AJ Styles within two weeks of each other, like. AJ Styles was like the heart and soul and spirit 